Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And it is a history-making episode of this show, Steve. We've been doing this, we're coming up to our 10th anniversary of doing it. We're in in year 10 of doing the podcast. You and me started with episode 1 back in March 2013 and for the first time we're actually going to do a podcast where we're going to be talking about the Canadian national team, men's team at a World Cup finals. It's crazy. And if you include your, are you including uh, your uh, episodes with Pierce Lang or, or not? Because well, yeah, those, well, you've been doing more than that, 10 years. Yeah, because yeah. we started that about a year, year and a half before as well. Yeah. As West Coast Soccer Weekly. So, yeah, I mean, did you ever think this day would come? Are you always hoping for it? I remember at the time, um, um, I, I was like, I remember because uh, 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 Squid, Squid had his podcast too, right? On yeah, it's called Football. Like yeah. Yeah. And I remember the thinking that uh, because there was a lot of Canada talk at that time, I was thinking maybe they get to by 2030 or something like that. Like this, obviously, we don't know. We didn't know at the time that they were going to get hosted. Right. Mm. Uh, so I was thinking on their own, maybe 2030. Uh, maybe that's when, you know, all the talent to the academies through MLS and stuff like that, that were able to get a team to the World Cup. Uh, and so, yeah, this is eight years, uh, definitely sooner than that. Like, uh, so it's, it's a good sign. At that point, I like I said, didn't expect it this early, but I was hoping for something down the road. Yeah, so we're, we're cock a hoop, obviously, here recording this today. We're, we're going to be talking Canada Belgium, we're going to be looking at the World Cup matches played so far, but it's not just World Cup chat, we're also going to be delving into some Vancouver Whitecaps chat. We've got a very interesting 40-minute sit-down chat with Whitecap CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster. We'll be chatting about the season past, the season to come, and what the club needs to do to take those next steps. Then we'll unpack some of what Axel said as well. So you don't want to miss that. Axel's coming up in part three. We'll talk about what he said in part four. Part two, we'll look at the games played so far. But in part one, it's all going to be about Canada and Canada-Belgium. I'm sitting here wearing my Voyager scarf 
I had it on, well, I had it on the dog earlier, but then I put it on myself during the game. You've got your Canadian background bit behind you, Steve. Very aptly, because sometimes these arrive a little bit late, in the mail that I just checked before we recorded, I got my When Saturday Comes, which is a very famous UK football magazine. It's been going since the late 80s, much like AFTN. So when Saturday comes, and it's their World Cup special, which has got their pull-out guide and a World cool. Cup wall chart. So okay. I'm very excited. Because the Euros, when they were on last year, I got this a couple of weeks after the Euros had finished. Oh, wow. Well, so okay. at least I've got it at the start of the World Cup, so I can make the most of that uh, and, and really enjoy it. Have you been feeling the World Cup vibe? I've taken the time off work, which... Yeah has delighted my wife because I only get paid when I work with a <laughs> contract that I'm on. So you can you can be sure how delighted she is by that fact that I'm not working for the next four weeks. You have had to, to work, yeah, but you, you working, do have the luxury I, that you can watch work, the games. Yeah, I, have, I work from home mostly, um, and I do have a TV, my TV in right next to the my three other monitors. So I have like four monitors surrounding me. Um, so yeah, I can... Uh, it, it was. Um, it, it, I basically it started early in the morning. I'm, I missed the first game. <coughs> I missed the first game. Um, I'm, I missed the first half of the second game. But basically, by then, I'm able to catch up and, and watch everything. I do have everything recorded, so I kind of start at the two thirty game right when I wake up, and I don't watch results. Um, so by the end of my shift, I usually ha- I will watch all the games. Yeah, I, I've been PVRing the the early games and. I've had the good intention of staying offline and not having anything spoiled. But the last two days I have managed to spoil it. I managed to spoil the Argentina game and the result yesterday because I was just reading BBC News and I thought, I won't go all the way down to where the sport usually is. But and it was higher than the yeah, sports. It was yeah. right at the second main story and it's like, yeah. understandable. Yeah. Um, and then today I made the mistake of reading Twitter and somebody had made a comment about how the, the first game was a draw and it was a, a good result for Canada. And I was like, oh, well, I don't... I was going to watch it. I, at least I, I thought I'll still watch it. So yeah. then I watched the, the Germany game, which, again, I had spoiled <laughs> <laughs> because I'm stupid. So I need to, I need to get... I need to switch the internet off. And just not sure. do anything until I've caught up with the games, unless it's games I'm I'm not really caring about. But we're also living the World Cup vicariously through Zach, who's over in Qatar just now. He's managed to get to I think it's just one game a day so far. He's managed to to get tickets. Some of the photos he sent us though, he's up in the the nosebleeds in yeah. some of the stadiums, and he was at behind the, sombreros. Yeah, he's at the Mexico Poland game on Tuesday and he was stuck behind a girl with a massive sombrero and I've got to say I I was like there is your karma for all the people that you have blocked with your flags over the years <laughs> uh, but it was like uh, uh, obviously clearly the games that he's been in uh, you know uh, the, obviously the opening game uh, Qatar versus Ecuador I think the Holland Senegal game was a pretty good one so yeah the Poland. Senegal fans he had a little video that he sent us of the, yeah. the Senegal fans and they looked good the the videos that he sent pre-kickoff today to us of the just the build up for the Canada game as well it, it like just brought goosebumps out in you seeing it all for sure 
Actually, it's on his Instagram. I'm saying that it's it's he, that he sent it to. So it's on his Instagram, so you can check all that out. And he got to see the 974 Container Stadium as well in that Mexico Poland game, which well, is the one stadium start- I'd been really interested oh. in going to see. Yeah, uh, hopefully there was no weird smells coming from those containers, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, and then it's going to get used for containers afterwards as well. It's just quite baffling. I mean, from things we've heard from him and some other folk that we know that's over there, that there's been some some issues on the ground. Security lines have been big. And then once you get through the security lines, you still have to go through another line to get into the stadium. And there's yeah. been some ticket problems with the QR codes not loading up. And if you bought a ticket late, sometimes it wasn't appearing in your account. He had the sombrero issue. Today, there was a scarf issue because the CSA had issued people with CIBC branded Canada scarves because CIBC are now their lead sponsor. So I don't know if this was at like the Canada House thing that they had on Tuesday or not, but they all got taken off people as they were going into the stadium today as an unofficial sponsored item for the World Cup because CIBC yeah. are a Canada sponsor and not a FIFA sponsor. I think the FIFA sponsor might be... I'm not even sure who the FIFA sponsor is. For I, I know I've seen a lot of Bank of Montreal ads on TSN, so maybe mm. they're the ones or something like that. I, I know. know, it's interesting that you've got CIBC as the main Canada soccer sponsor, and then folk like Fonzie have got their their own yeah. sponsorship yeah. deal with, with BMO. Which is acceptable. That's that's acceptable if you're going to do that. That's oh, good, yeah. That's a good work on everybody. Be, the Canada soccer gets their money, and then BMO gets their money. I mean, Alfonso gets his money. Bimo may not have wanted to play that video where he can't <laughs> score a goal um, because well, the, it's a brick wall in the way. Well, a desk. It was a desk. Uh, oh, is it a desk? Thinking. Yeah, it was, a, it was the, their their main uh, guy that, that sits at the desk or something. Uh, yeah. The desk was he, in front of the desk. He took the but kick was, the same way. Yeah, exactly. That's why it was <laughs> bad timing on that. Um, but yeah, the World Cup is underway. We'll delve into a lot of the non-Canadian stuff in the next part. Let's get into what we all want to talk about. It's Canada-Belgium. The 36-year wait was over. Canada played their first match at a World Cup Finals since June 9th, 1986, which was 36 years, 5 months and 14 days, or 437 months and 14 days, if you want to look at it that way, or a staggering 13,316 days since they were last at the big show. They didn't score in 1986. They're still waiting for that first World Cup goal, although it was close. It was a great yeah. battling performance. Was this the biggest Canadian screw job since the heartbreak kid in Montreal and Brett the Hitman Hart? <laughs> well, a lot of people might disagree, but yeah, I feel like it was. There, there was more chances to get to the spot for them. I, I think if if we're summing the game up, it it was. Uh, a fighting performance by Canada. They went toe-to-toe with Belgium. And they were the better team. I mean, you've got to be honest, they were the better team. And if you come away... For, for about 95% of the game. Like, yeah. No, oh, yeah, there was little spells just before Belgium no, scored. I mean, they kind of turned I mean, it up a little bit. But what yeah. I mean is, what I mean is, for the most part, defending whatever, finishing... But finishing was the, like that 5% of the game that they couldn't do. And that was the issue there with them overall. Yeah. I mean, that's the difference. It's like clinical finishing. And like we know that these guys can score, but if we're being honest, you look at CONCACAF qualifying, 
whole different level of teams that you're trying to score against as opposed to being at a World Cup finals and you're playing the second-ranked team in the world, which if you're going toe-to-toe with that team and you're coming away from a game against the number two-ranked team in the world, disappointed, not even that you didn't get a point, but disappointed that you didn't come away with an actual win, then you've put in one hell of a, a performance yeah. And I've got to say, Steve, I am gutted at the end of it. It just feels that there was points left on the table. And, I mean, it, it if is, you said, it, oh, we lost narrowly after fighting away, you'd be like, okay, but I, I'm gutted by it. Yeah, it is after the game's over, for sure. But going into it, it would have been like, a you know, we would have been proud of, and I still am proud of the result, like losing 1-0 to a team that, a lot of people had like uh, they're ranked second, whatever ranking, however you believe in rankings and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but they are ranked second, so you're you're expecting them to, uh, uh, you know, to be the you know, to definitely not put in that performance. Like I mentioned, I messaged you guys like when the, in our chat, and I was like, that first first fifteen minutes was too intense for me. Like they were, <laughs> it, it was like I felt like. They were putting too much on the table. I was hoping they would save some for the rest of the game. I was I worried like about that as well. I thought they're going to run out of Steve out of steam, not, yeah. or, or even run out of Steve. Yeah. But like you, you gave me a call as well towards the end of the first half. So it was kind of it was fitting in a way that we watched that goal go in together. Yeah, we did. That was maybe it was a curse or something like that. But yeah. It might have helped you though, because you've spoken before about being in the fetal position. Like, what were your emotions like watching it? I was, I was actually fine, very relaxed. For once, I was actually very relaxed um, because I, I felt like they were, especially when that first like ten minutes after that first for ten fifteen minutes, I felt like they belonged, mm-hmm. and I didn't think they were they nothing, uh, you know, like they weren't going to embarrass themselves by the end of the game. Yeah, you didn't uh, want to uh, be a Costa Rica. Yes, exactly. So I didn't feel like they were going to embarrass themselves. I felt like they were going to stay in the game. And obviously that one goal went in. And I, I mentioned it to you before, like Canada, uh, during that, when we talked there, uh, I felt like Canada was like the that boxer that, you know, maybe throws a jab, body shots and everything like that. And Belgium is that team that's the heavyweight that just like, needs that just that one punch on the chin and can knock you out. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good... Uh, uh, it's a great analogy. Great. Yeah, great analogy of the actual, the way this game played out. Yeah, because Canada had them on the ropes, but then the, the, you've always got a fighter's chance when you've you've got a punch, and that's what came through. My, my yeah. friends in Scotland were very impressed by Canada. I was getting messages during the game that they were impressed with, with the attack. They felt our defence was quite slow. Yeah. But... In saying that, I thought the defence put in... I mean, take take the goal aside, which we'll come to, but I thought they put in a... Like, to a man, that back three were phenomenal. I I thought Kamal Miller was maybe my man of the match, but then thinking about it, I, probably Richie Larea has probably got to be my man of the match. Yeah, there, there's a couple... Even uh, Estacchio was, like, really, like, had a control of that midfield. Um, it might not have shown up on the on the, the stats and everything like that, but I thought he was, he was impressive. There were quite a few... Buchanan, Tejon Buchanan, mm-hmm. uh, I thought really pushed the pushed the Belgium and was creating a lot of chances for them. Just wasn't able to get that final chance. In the uh, yeah, and I think that was that was the problem. The build up play was great. The play in the final third was not so good. Yeah. And we'll, we'll come to a little bit of the reasons that I feel that that was maybe the the case. Is it? 
I mean, the, the match, it was played at the 45,000 Ahmad Ben Ali Stadium. And it was disappointing to see there's quite a few empty seats. And we've seen a couple of games where there's been empty seats because I believe in the stadiums, 75% of the tickets have been reserved for local people. Yeah. So you you saw it in the I think it was the Holland Senegal game. There was a lot of empty seats as well. So maybe maybe people are trying to charge too much for them, and nobody's buying the tickets or something. Possibly, like that. but I think that yeah. might also be like good for Zach and the other guys over there because they can pick tickets up then for these games. And if they right. want to try and take in a game a day, I think it's going to be very doable. Yeah. So sure. the the lineup then when you saw it, I don't think we could really have too many complaints about yeah, it i actually it was almost a I, maybe not the formation but identical players except for i i think i had either kubi in the lineup and larea on the yep. bench other than that my it was exactly the lineup i thought it would be yeah it was pretty spot on fonzie was playing that deeper role that i yeah. thought he might yeah but that's why i thought kubi would be in the lineup and fonzie would be playing up front i think by the end of it fonzie was playing closer to yeah the, he was the, 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 the but i mean the good thing was canada came out on the front foot from the start, really took it to Belgium, and Belgium looked a bit shell shocked. Yeah, it's like they didn't know what to hit them. They just could not get control of the ball. They couldn't move it forward. Canada were moving the ball around very well, and you're like, wow, if they keep this up, they're going to get something. But it's like, can they keep up that pace? And as you were just saying, it, there's a danger you burn yourself out, especially in in conditions that you're you're not used to. But nine minutes yeah. in. They're handed, literally, the chance to, to go ahead. Handball by Yannick Carrasco, given after video review. At the time, I didn't see anything really in it, but as soon as you saw the first replay, you're like, oh, that's no question, that's a yeah, penalty. For sure, that, yeah. Right, away, right away, first, first look at the replay, you knew right away it was going to be a handball and it was going to be a penalty, and then the nerves really... That's where the nerves kicked in, um, because I was like, my feeling was just please don't miss it, or something like that. Just get it in the net, or get it like on the net. I was the what? Actually, my first thought was just get it on the net, so that it's not flying over the net or, or you sky it or something like that. I, I at that point I wasn't even sure who it is, but as soon as they called the penalty, they mentioned that Fonzie had the ball under his, uh, um, you know, under his arm or whatever he was holding on to it. So um, uh, clearly, he's the one that wanted to take it. And and like you, like Herman said before, after the Japan game, they don't have a set penalty kicker. Yeah, and Which I, I think it's ridiculous. Set. Yeah. And Kevin Kilban also thinks it's ridiculous. Maybe it's maybe it's something that's more commonplace over in Europe. I don't know. Maybe I, I cannot understand that you would go into a game without having a set penalty taker. And I've got to be honest, when they said that Fonzie had the ball, I said, why? Out loud. Because yeah. I, I, I said to you, I don't remember him taking a penalty, but then, as you reminded me, he did at BC Place against yeah. Curaçao. Which... A different, much, much different level goalkeeper. Yes, but in, in that one, if he, I remember, I saw it from a different angle too. If he had placed it where he placed it against Curacao, that would have been possibly in the net. But you're going against probably a top three goalkeeper in the world. I would say, maybe arguably, yeah, um, I, I'd he, say he won the golden the best. But yeah, yeah, he, yeah, Golden Glove winner from the last World Cup. Yeah, I think it's his third World Cup. You got, you got somebody that's the first time. So you they got the advantage there right now for nerves, and he did not strike it well at all. No, like he, he the, telegraphed it. Like the way he was leaning, it was clear where he was going. Yeah, and Courtois just did a, a a great job with it. I mean, I don't want to pile on Fonzie, 
But, and it's not just his fault, because someone like Atiba could have stepped in as the veteran of the team. You know that he's not a regular penalty taker. You've got Jonathan David that takes penalties at club level. He's been scoring regularly for Canada. Why would Atiba not come over and go, look, come on, let Jonathan David take this, or even Atiba himself. Fonzie should not have been the player to take that. Even if he scored, I would still be arguing that Fonzie is not the person that should be on penalty kick duties. And I've, I've got to wonder why he took it. Because it was either he was full of confidence um, and maybe Jonathan David didn't feel so confident. It could have been that they had maybe made a decision amongst themselves if they got a penalty, Fonzie was going to take it. So that's fair enough. What I hope it wasn't was a little bit of ego coming in and he wanted to be the man that got Canada's first ever goal at a World Cup finals. He'd seal his legacy. It would be talked about for years to come because that would be the wrong reason to want to take a penalty. And it was interesting because I can't remember who it was afterwards had said Jonathan David there needs to have a bigger ego and say, no, look, I'm the penalty taker here. Well, I agree with that. He needed a striker, and you know, we all know strikers have the biggest egos out of everybody when it comes to like doing that. Uh, but I do the one thing I will like. I don't know what accuracy wise, which is probably you know the cause of the miss there. Uh, but he strikes the ball well uh, from the spot. Like he he does have a strong leg on on the thing when he does shoot the ball. So I think he he's capable of doing that. Is sometimes placing the ball, but he hasn't the has placed placed the ball. Like I've seen him in even in the lower leagues, like uh, when he's taking the penalties and everything. So he, it's just, I think maybe the nerves got to him and he misstruck it. Maybe he meant to strike it somewhere else. My thing is that uh, in the future, if he does something like that again, maybe telegraph it again and then go the other way. Mm. Uh, that's what I, I've always... Because he's I've got the skills thought, to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand why some well, people don't do that. They telegraph it. Maybe it's just like a... Uh, you know, a, a game of chicken where I, I'm, I'm going this way. Do you think I'm going this way or, or I'm going the other way? Like it's it's a, maybe it's a lot of uh, that for them and trying to figure out who who makes the right call. And then this time, Courtois, it, like you said, is the best, like arguably best keeper in the world, top three, whatever you want to call it. And he if he's got a a long history of being able to read strikers and going which way they're going to go and, and be able to. And he's tall too. Remember, he is tall. It, even if he got into the corner, it might not have reached. So. He might have been able to reach it and deflect away. In yeah. this case, he was able to just, you know, gather it up and where it was. What I will say is, if that had been me in that situation, I don't even think my legs could have moved to take that. I would, I, I've said before, like for penalty shootouts and a big thing like that, I don't know that my body would let me take it. Now, obviously, yeah. it's different when you're in this situation, you're a professional footballer. But, I mean, to even try and take that, you can't imagine what those nerves must be like and what's going through your mind. He had to wait over a minute to take it with everything that was going on. And, and, he, and, and the funny thing is, is you got, uh, I think there were two penalties missed so far in the World Cup and they're, for, uh, they're current and former Bayern players. So yes. Zach, Zach has a lot to answer for that. Yeah, Zach has got a lot to answer for with his German sides as well. Yeah, today today was not a good day for him. No, it was a, it was a bad, bad day for, for Zach. Yeah. I, I felt a little bit for Janine Becky who had to sit there and talk about missing a penalty at a World Cup, having missed a penalty for Canada in the round of 16 in 2019 against Sweden. So at least she, yeah. she could really relate. But 
But I, you know, you, you're a professional player. You have, I mean, you, if you're going to be going into this uh, mode, you you know you you know if something like this happens, you've done this in the past. You're going to have to talk about it. So yeah, she probably was ready to speak about it whenever somebody did. It's probably a team. Yeah, I mean, you have to hope now it doesn't play in his mind. I don't think it did in no, the game. Maybe I don't think, instantly well, he was like, "Oh no, what's happened here?" But I well, think he got Russell, on. Russell Russell Beresford made a point when um uh on twitter i saw I, met, I saw his tweet when he said that davies maybe was trying too hard and not in the ball i in the second half i didn't get to watch the second half as closely as i did the first half so you maybe you can put but he felt that uh Davey was was trying too hard to make up for the penalty and maybe shouldn't be playing with his teammates a little bit more like here well I, probably I, see, minor I, things here yeah but i've got to say that that is that's that's his game in general. I think he yeah. tries to do too much. And I don't know whether it's because he feels that weight of expectation yeah. that everyone's expecting him to do it, so he tries to do it, or whether the hype's just got to him a little bit that he thinks he's the, he's this world beater and can do all this stuff. Could be a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. But sure. he does... That's been in his game for a while. He tries to do too much. He tried to do it in a Whitecaps jersey. He's tried to do it in a Canada jersey. Another thing, though, talking about that then, because we'll we'll get into that now. This is something that really really pissed me off today in that first half. Because after that, Canada kept pressing. Belgium struggled to hold on to the ball. Canada were having attack after attack. And we'll look at the two other potential penalties in that first half in a sec. But an incident happened just past the half-hour mark that kind of this just summed everything up for me. Jonathan David had a shot. And I think it was Fonzie, actually, that was to his right. I haven't watched it back. But whoever it was to, that was to his right was wide open. So that was the ball to play to that wide open guy. But instead, David shot it through traffic, going for the glory, instead of being more aware of what was going on around him and his, where his teammates were. And that happened a lot in the first half and at times in the second as well. Yeah, there were was going a, for that a... glory shot. It might have been the same one, or but it could have been another one. There was one moment where David, uh, I felt Jonathan David had a, a time to decide. Like there was nobody around him at all, and he, he panically or whatever, or quickly took the shot instead of like settling it down, finger where he is, because uh, there, because when he took it right away, the Belgian player got right in front and blocked it, and it wasn't traffic. I, thought, I think it might be an, another time other than the one you were mentioning, um, but yeah. There was a lot of moments where they didn't settle and take the shot, and they were and maybe the maybe the adrenaline got to them, and they just saw, saw the net and just you know you know how you see red mist for, for you know that it's similar yeah. to that where you see the goal and you just like want to fire the on the net. Yeah, I mean that, that well I've played into it, and I mean I have criticised teams and players before for not wanting to shoot. But you've got to balance it up and you've got to be more aware of what is going on around you, especially when there's a wide open guy. So let's talk about the other two penalty incidents that happened in the first half or potential penalty incidents because I've watched them, I've watched them back, I've listened to various comments in the the post-game show about it. So the the first one, Tejan Buchanan, is brought down but the flag had been put up for offside which then proved wrongly because it had been a Belgian player that had played the ball back so Buchanan had been off the pitch had come back on from behind the goal 
the ball was played back, he got to the ball, and there's definite contact and he's definitely brought down. So initially I thought, oh, it was because the flag had gone up and then VAR couldn't override the offside, but that isn't the case. They could have done that because they could have seen, no, it wasn't offside. But Joe Fletcher, uh, the former referee that was in the TSN studios, said that for him it wasn't a penalty because the Belgian player just nicked the ball ball. away first. I saw that too. And I'm 50-50 on it. I could see the call either way, to be honest. But he he does nick it away, but he does take Buchanan down at the same time. Like, I think that because it was reviewed and because they were able to see them have, you know, get contact with the ball, I think that's why they did not ask the referee to review it on VAR. That's probably the reason why. Um, but ultimately, I think if it wasn't called offside, and I think the referee would have called it a penalty mm-hmm. at that point. And I think then we, and, and, it, and at that point, it wouldn't have been reviewable either because it was too close for either way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so I think that basically the, the offside call uh, negated the chance for it to be a penalty because of that. Because once they reviewed it, they saw that he got a nick of the ball and they, they decided not to uh, keep it. But overall, uh, I, I think the offside is the main reason it was a cold penalty in real time. Now, the second incident was when we were on the phone chatting yes. to each other. And, and we, we got this wrong live yes. <laughs> when we were side, yeah. Because we, we saw oh, Or right. And we, <laughs> we were both like, Fletcher. yeah, we were both like, ooh. And then we saw the replay and we were both, nah, it's not a penalty. And I was like, oh, he dived. Because we were both watching the arms and for the push. Yes. Yeah. We did not look at the leg. Yes. But then when you see it, Larray is definitely stamped on. Or maybe not stamped, but th- there's a foot on his foot. There's a step on his foot. And right. for me now that I watch it back, I can't see how that wasn't a penalty. But again, Joe Fletcher brought it up that because they, he's what he said was Richie Larea put his foot basically there. Yeah, he initiated the contact. Yes, but I don't see uh, that. I don't I, see I that problem. either. I have a problem with that because I've seen it in the past where um, a player, like, you know, when somebody's trying to clear the ball and they're clearing the ball and the other player would be in the way. And and, and, and if you're in the way, you're in the way. It's almost like a Simpsons rule where I'm I'm swinging my arms this way. If it hits you, that's your fault. Yeah. Kind of thing. I I don't see how that is initiating contact, just putting your foot down in front of the guy. Yeah. uh, That I I have a problem with. The other one, I I probably buy it for him. That's the reason why it wasn't reviewed. Yeah. Uh, But this one should have been called for sure. But I have a feeling that maybe the referee did not see the foot being stamped on because of the angle that he was at, and he just saw the player getting pushed Oh, no, he d- over. yeah, he definitely wouldn't, but VAR should have seen that. VAR That's should have problem. seen that, for sure. Yes, for sure. Uh, but again, if they looked at it the way that Joe Fletcher said, that would be why they wouldn't call him over. But it's it's frustrating because you you look at all those, and then a minute before half time, what proved then to be the decisive goal, and... It was a beautiful long ball over the top from Alderweireld. Mishi Bachai finishes with a plum, and he's been involved now in eight of Belgium's last ten goals. Was what I saw on the BBC: five goals and three assists. So a dangerous player. He took it really well. The ball over the top was really well, and now that I've watched it back, I've got a question. The defensive play by Canada. Yeah, the line. Yeah, but it's 
Kamal Miller, who I thought was excellent, gave him about a one-two foot head start and was never going to then close him down and get back to him. Yeah, but he, but Kamal Miller, uh, it was lucky that he was even on that side because it was more to the right, which is opposite of where Kamal Miller should be. Yeah, I mean, there if is that look at too, it, but he, if he let the man way, get away from him. Yeah, if you look at it that way, also Alistair Johnston and where was Stephen Vittoria, they weren't in position. Yeah, And Richie Lorea was way too far up the pitch Yeah, uh, because he kept him on side. Because if, if he wasn't there, then I don't think they would have, that, that, that that play would have been called offside and it wouldn't have been counted. So that definitely played a factor. I think almost every single one of those defenders had uh, have to share partial blame for that that one. The clear one is Miller because that's who you're looking at. Uh, but all the other three were, were like I I didn't have a chance to watch it again to see when the run up a player what Alistair Johnson and Steve Vittori were doing so far up the pitch mm. that they weren't in position for that. The the thing is, they played such a good defensive game. And they yep. just switch off once, and that's the difference at this level. It's just before the half, too. That, yeah. That's the, the, the breaker, too. If, if you switch off, these teams just need one opportunity, and they're going to oh, put it sure. away. And that's yeah, but, exactly what they did. But remember what I said to you at the time, that I was saying, maybe it's a good thing, because the other two upsets, major upsets, the, the, the yes. Germany and Argentina had the lead going into the half, and then the other team here. But in this case, Canada, like, I think Belgium saw that probably. Maybe that wasn't a good thing because Belgium saw what had happened to Argentina and Germany and they really knew they had to stay on and not yeah. give up any chances. And it wasn't that threatening a second half from Canada. I mean, they, they huffed and puffed well. They created chances. Well, they they had the ball and they right. built up well into the final third without maybe creating any clear cut goal scoring opportunities for most of the match they'd had 14 shots in the first half to Belgium's four but only two of those were on target and that there's the issue well I think I think there was a, a thing where um, they, had, they had 14 shots in the first half two on target that apparently was the most in any game uh, without scoring since 2006 I don't, I don't know I don't know if that's that is for the whole game or just the first half um, so that's the most since 2006 I mean, they finished the game with 22 shots to Belgium's nine, but both right. teams had three shots each on target. And that's just... that That's really where it just kind of got let down. I mean, were you surprised there was no changes at halftime or did you not expect any because they'd put in such a good performance? I, I thought I, I, in this case, typically, I would, I would say that they probably saw that they were... Um, like essentially the 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 players were they, there was nothing to take them off the pitch for like there was nothing no glaring errors or anything like that and it was just a one half chance i don't see herdman doing something drastic like that unless he saw something like horrible in that yeah. first half and i thought they were the better team so because belgium had, belgium made two changes because they had to because they were getting yes. pulled all over the place and it did yeah. seem to shore them up a little bit in the second half i wasn't surprised either i, I was just curious if you were because we did see a couple of changes at the hour mark, and I thought it would probably get to the hour mark before they would make a change if they were still trailing. Yeah. And Coney came on, Larn came on for Atiba and, and Hoylet. I thought Hoylet was doing well, and I would maybe actually have taken David off for Larn and kept Hoylet on, because Jonathan David just... Something seemed off with him today, just seemed a little bit out of sync. Yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe it was just uh, like I said, the 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 nerves and everything like that. But well, I thought there were moments where he was fine, but there was a couple issues up top uh, where uh, you, you were talking about David. There was a shot by Hoyland too, where there there were a couple options for him mm. to pass the ball off and score as well. So yeah, I think I think he was looking for glory as well. I think everybody was looking to be that first Canadian keeper scorer. Yeah. That's why it, that's why you wanted that penalty to go in, so no, we didn't have to discuss that anymore. Yeah, that's well. what you were saying to me, yeah. and yeah, now it's it, it's still hanging there. That's yeah. that's the thing, and I have a feeling the first goal is going to be off somebody's butt, and that's probably that it won't be anything glorious. It'll be just something that. It happens to go off somebody, and it, it just happens to go in. Or maybe it's an own goal or something like that. I don't know if that would count for a Canada's first goal as an own goal. No, it doesn't, it does it? No. no. Well, it would, would count if they'd scored, but it wouldn't be a Canadian that scored it. Yes, correct. But the, John Herdman said in one of his interviews afterwards that it, it wasn't fitting that Canada's first goal would have been from a penalty, although he would have gladly taken it. Yeah. But, I mean, there just there wasn't really much to talk about in the second half in terms of clear-cut chances Lauren had a what well, at first looked a good header but then when you saw it from behind the goal it was very easily dealt with by by Courtois they just didn't have the killer edge we've talked about that the expected goals for Belgium with the way that the game went was yeah. 0.86 it was so, 0.5 at half time oof. you know I saw that and then Canada was 2.83 that was about the same for half time as well so they there was they definitely Belgium improved in the second half, but personally, I hate those. Expected well, that's what I was going to say. I I won't <laughs> yeah. use my terminology um, that I've written down here in the rundown. I, I've gone I, on I about want, this before. I want actual goals. I want actual yeah. goals. Not I want goals. The, my eye test to, yeah. <laughs> to to be that and the actual goals in the score sheet. It's like yeah, you can have yeah. all the expected goals in the in the world, and if you don't put in the ball in the back of the net, it's not really counting for much. And there was a a tweet. The I retweeted, I'll just dig it up here, that showed the top five expected goals so far in the this World Cup. And it was France with 4.2, they won. Spain, 3.79, they won. But then the next three, Canada, 3.53, lost. Sorry, Germany, 3.53, lost. Canada, 2.83, lost. Argentina, 2.27, lost. In, in individual games, expected goals, it, it doesn't come into it. It's just what you actually do in that game. I, I thought, though, Herdman was good in his post-game stuff. I He was clearly gutted. Um, I liked that he says they've now got to, to go out and F up Croatia in the next game. But yeah. what I particularly liked was his attitude that he wanted to finish tonight top of the group. They're not just there to make the numbers up. They're there sure. to win and to qualify. And that is the attitude you want to see. It's fantastic. No participation medals for John Herdman. And I love the fact that he's disappointed that, they, that they're that they not top of the group tonight. That's where he's set this bar for this team. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, they got praise from the opposing uh, coach as well. I saw that, yeah. yeah. He said he they goes... were the better side. Yeah, they said today was a difficult game. Canada was better than us, he, but he delighted they won. Their grit and experience of a quality of our goalkeeper. So, like, I think the uh, we're not gonna, Canada's not going to sneak up on anybody going forward. That's I for, for sure. I know Croatia will be up and ready to go. So it's going to. I don't know if this result makes it harder for them down the road, or does it make you give them more confidence that they can do more? 
Yeah, that that is the thing because the other game in Group F, which was the two o'clock kickoff, two, sorry, yeah, it was two o'clock, two a.m. So Croatia take on Morocco, and no matter what happened in their own game, this was the best result Canada could have hoped for—a draw. Mm-hmm. It's what they wanted; they got it. And like Morocco, they bid for the twenty twenty six World Cup. It felt like they'd got this one with the amount of Moroccan fans that were in the stadium. I don't know if you've how much you've seen of it, but it was packed with Moroccan fans. It was an amazing atmosphere, which is also going to be a crazy atmosphere for this last game now, because no matter sure. what, for at least one of the teams, there's a, a chance to advance on the line in that last game. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, like I said before, I mentioned it years ago, uh, Morocco is not that far from Qatar. Um, so yeah. <laughs> it, it's an easy, easy trip to that for them to make. Oh, I there. forgot about that. That was our old, that was yeah. our old favorite. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. It's it's gonna. That's why they need to do something against Croatia, so they they have an easier time, get an easier result against Morocco. Like it, it's like I mean, what I mean is like they don't, they're not under that much pressure. They can be on the team that doesn't need to have that last win in the last game. So yep. they they need to. Although it's not going to be easy now, but they need to put Croatia in the same paces that they did Belgium. It's lucky for them that they have five days um, to rest up and get ready for Croatia, five, four or five days, whatever it is. And so that they, because that last game, everybody's going to be on the same rest and everything mm. like that. Like, I think Belgium is very much possibly can take out Morocco uh, because I think they, they, they got their scare. Um, although I think Egypt should have scared them too. Uh, the fact that they lost to Egypt prior going into the World Cup, but uh, I think they hopefully we'll see what happens. Uh, worst case scenario would be that Morocco beats Belgium in this case oh, uh, yeah. for the second game, and that would be because that would really put Canada that they need a really good result in that last game. Yeah, I mean I, this is going to be an interesting group. It's going to go all the way down to the wire. I mean the game today, it was nil nil. Both teams just managed two shots in, in the on target in the whole game. Croatia edged the first half, Morocco edged the second. Morocco's drawn over 50% of their World Cup matches. They've played 17, they've drawn nine of them. So a win against Croatia, a draw against Morocco, that should be enough to see Canada through. And I've got to say, if Canada play the way they played today in these last two matches, providing they put the ball in the back of the net, they should advance if they just have this same kind of hustle and bustle. What changes would you make then for Croatia on Sunday? Because I, I, I think it needs to get freshened up. I do think they need to rotate a little bit. Uh, I don't think Hoylet can play like a full game, um, like uh, start a game like that and play 60 minutes again. They might need him in the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atiba, do you save him for the end or do you start him at the beginning and take him off earlier or something like that? That's another... Yeah, question. I'd like him on in the first half, I think. And then even yeah. if you... If he, can only go a half. I'd rather we had him at the start. And do you want to play Alfonso front a little higher? And then does that mean Sam maybe uh, comes onto the pitch for somebody? So those those are the part of the question marks in that second game to see if they want to do something there, um, or or uh, some kind of combination. Like essentially, the players that are not 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 because based on their play or anything like that, but. Boylet, I would say, Atiba, and probably Richie Larea are the three players that could potentially see the bench if somebody comes on for them. Everybody else, 
I would keep, stay on, keep it the same. That's fair. I, I'd maybe put Lauren in for David to start it. Well, if you wanted to keep them, like I know you, we mentioned before that you don't want to have them on at the same time. Well, but I'd you, like them both can, on at the same time, but like maybe David could play a little bit uh, as a withdrawn striker or something like that. I meant like if they are going to play, I don't think you can play both of them up top. I think David has to play uh, help out in the midfield a little bit. If you're if you think that's a good choice, because then if you put Sam in there and have Alfonso up, you kind of have another extra defender defensive player up front too. And mm-hmm. so you can afford David not being the best defensive player in the midfield because Alfonso's there to cover up the slack. That's fair. H- how you feeling going into it? You confident? No, not, not, no, I'm not confident or anything like that. I, I, anything can happen. I'm hoping for a result. I would love a win. Um, I I mentioned before that I don't think Croatia... They're, they're, I don't know. I, I didn't get to watch the entire game today. So I don't know exactly how they played against Morocco. Uh, but it seemed like that they they carried the play for the for some of it, and so it all depends on if they're able to recover some of their top players after five days and see how that happens. I don't know how often Modric plays two games in a week. Yeah, um, they were definitely the better team in the first half. He's their definitely their best player. Yeah, he's today, played he in three different decades now at a World yeah. Cup. That's incredible. Yeah, and he still still looks really good. Yeah. And the what, last thing I would mention about that game is that um, uh, do they go crazy right at the front, out, off the top, or do they kind of uh, uh, kind of pull back a little bit, let Croatia think they're, they're going with something else, and then maybe start off later on? Maybe mm. at, at last 15 minutes of the first half, they, they start pressing or something like that, just before the half. I'd, I'd like to see them just go for it again and just... Yeah. I, I'd rather but some, they sometimes went you gotta change it up. having gone for it. Sometimes you got to change it up because you're you're playing a different opponent. They're expecting you to go for it. So they, if you don't go for it, then they they kind of have to change their tactics a little bit. And then you change it up when you go for it. So yeah, that's the thing. Because they might not be able to go healthy leather at, at us either. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let us know how you're feeling going into that match on Sunday. AFT in Canada on Twitter. We'll have a another podcast coming out either Sunday night or Monday afternoon after those games as well. That is it for our Canada chat for this episode. But we're going to look at the other games that's been played in the World Cup and some of the talking points from the tournament so far. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is our Artist of the Month for the month of November here at AFTN from London, England, Swede. And that is a song from their 1994 second album, the critically acclaimed Dogman Star. It was the third and final single taken from it, released in 1995. Reached number 21 in the UK charts. That was New Generation. Because Canada might be part of the new generation of talents coming through world football. They've been climbing the the FIFA rankings. There's some other young guns that's been making their mark in this tournament as well. As a lot of the old guard have kind of struggled in Qatar so far. Although a few of the past winners have... Certainly looked very impressive in their, their opening matches. So, what be a, a new name on the trophy? What be another name that is etched on for a, a repeat victory? I guess we'll find out in a few weeks' time. But in this part, we're going to delve into the matches that have been played so far. We're not going to go into them in, in tons of depth, just talk about the main talking points from them and also some of the talking points from off the pitch as well. We'll just do this in, in, in group orders. We'll, we'll start in Group A, Steve. The opening game on Sunday, Qatar 0, Ecuador 2. Qatar became the first hosts to, to lose their first World Cup match. And on the basis of this showing, they'll be the second hosts not to get out of the group stage after South Africa in 2010 because they looked horrible. They were completely outclassed by Ecuador. I do worry, though, that Ecuador might rue not putting up more than two goals uh, against them because I think the other teams might be whipping the goals in against them. They nearly put up more than two goals. They had one taken away three minutes in from VAR. Um, It it was a dominant performance from Ecuador, but they just didn't go for the jugular. You've been gaslighting me for like, or us for like weeks and months (laughs) that Qatar is going to be something special. Um, and I took them in our in our our, our, our draft and yeah, everything like that. I left them. I was I I thought honestly I thought Saudi Arabia was the better team. We'll talk about them later. But I took Qatar because I go okay maybe Michael seen something. I'll I'll take his word for it. But it was a big massive mistake on my part. That could have cost me the whole uh, pool and everything. Like that. I genuinely thought they'd beat Ecuador in the first game. I just thought they'd be up for it. Well, you but had I... them advancing in the group. Yeah, you did. Yeah, so. Because um, then no, I thought they'd get a draw with Senegal and they'd like move through. The, they they the, were the shocking. Biggest, they were biggest disappointment of the Sunday too, and, and of Group A and, and whatever. That they only played one game. I wish they had played a second game. Like mm. why not? Like I, I just well, they wanted it to be. Game. They wanted it to be special for the host and to have the opening yeah. ceremony. I guess. Well, I think but... the host would have preferred a second game so that they didn't have to do it. And Group A, by the way, I have labeled as the Rainbow Group uh, because there's every color of the rainbow in there. The, the um, for because of all the rainbow masks that are uh, and flags that are um, uh, you know banned in, in Qatar, isn't that it they, ironic that Qatar is in yeah. the rainbow group then? Yeah, and they're the ones that providing purple. Otherwise, you rarely get purple. You get orange from Netherlands, uh, multiple colors from Ecuador and Senegal. So they basically cover the color of the rainbow. So the rainbow group is not going to be good for Qatar uh, at all. It's not really purple though. It is purplish. It's the closest we're going to get to a team having purple. Eh, I f- fair enough. The other game in Group A, Netherlands 2, Senegal 0. Senegal fans were, were tremendous. It was such a good atmosphere. 
And Senegal played well in flashes, but I mean, the, the Dutch seemed to have the quality. Two late goals saw them through. I mean, albeit it's maybe not in the way that you maybe would have thought Holland would have gone through. They had to hang on late, but they, they got the three points on the board. But some of the other big name teams can't say. But uh, Senegal, I, I liked how they played. And I think yeah. Senegal, Senegal should probably still go through. I think so, too. I think it's obviously that big game against Senegal, Ecuador will probably decide it. And mm-hmm. I think Senegal does have a... It's too bad that they, they're missing their best player. But, uh, yeah, the, Senegal, I think, has enough quality to get through. And they they faced the toughest opponents and they lost 2-0. Um, I think they can make that up against the other teams. Group B, which is the, the group with two of the most obnoxious fan bases in the world. And if anyone's not sure who I'm talking about, it's England and the US. England 6, Iran 2. If we talk about teams looking awful, Iran looked absolutely awful. I think I might have picked them too. I can't remember. I, I, I know. I, I should have had a look beforehand as to who we had. I haven't done the points yet. I, yeah. I was surprised how bad they were after their strong qualification. Yeah. Maybe that just shows the weakness of, of Asia just in general right now. But it's it's concerning. Well, I, don't, of, I, wouldn't, I, I don't think Argentina agrees. No, and that Germany. is true. Yes. Oh yeah, I guess. But I, I did, I did write my little blurb for this after just uh, before those two games. England ran riot, and they yeah. looked impressive. It's hard to know though. Are they good? Are they not good? Because Iran didn't put up great opposition. But sometimes, like how you play, makes the opposition look horrible too. Mm. So, like England, but England always seems to win these games against the weakest opponents. It's them going up against the tougher opponents that that they really. Uh, you know, fail at, yeah. which makes it easy for this group because there's a lot of um, teams that are not at that level. Because they do have, what, whatever you want to talk about them, they do have one of the, you know, the top professional leagues in the world, and they're oh, able yeah. to develop good players in there. And they've got an easy looking. Well, before group. before some of the shock results, they've got an easy looking group and run for the yeah. first couple of knockout stage. Arsenal's Bukayo Saka, couple of goals. I said this after the Euros. He's a hard player not to like. He's such a nice guy on and yeah, off and the pitch, and he plays some lovely stuff. And it's great to see him get that, uh, in addition to the other players that were like abused after the Euros, yeah. uh, the penalty misses and everything like that. Um, he, and he talked about it too afterwards too. So it's great that he brought it up again because people need to be reminded like what he, what him and Rashford and. I think one other player, I can't remember who it was, but they went through during that penalties after the penalty. Actually, talking of which, after the game, Canada's game today, I, I looked to see if Fonzie had got some abuse on, on Twitter in that regard. And I'd only seen, only saw one um, really clear racist thing, so I reported that on Twitter. So we'll, we'll see what they do about that. So at least it wasn't as bad as I thought it might have been. England did give up two goals, though, so I mean that could yeah. be concerning. But the English media already, there's been a couple of papers and stuff because I obviously read a lot of the UK stuff. They're already one of the headlines and one of the things was um, plotting England's route to the final, and it's like you've played one game against Iran. It's like I think you know, you're every, getting a little bit ahead of yourself getting to the no, final. No, but every every top country does that. Like you know, the top eight countries, everybody's like looking to head to the final because they feel like they're going to get through the group pretty easy. And they're very expected. confident though, which is the, the one thing, good. I, the one issue I had about this in VAR that concerns me is that like there was uh, two 
VAR, maybe it wasn't even reviewed. I can't remember. There was a play where the England player got tackled and there was no penalty given. Mm. And then there was a tug on somebody's jersey. The guy fell over the Iranian player, the last goal that yeah. went in, the penalty. And that was given, which is very odd. And and I'm I'm concerned about that, that VAR is looking at weird things and they're not, hopefully they're more consistent down the road. They're, they're really wanting to clamp down on the jersey pulling. Yeah. Which is one of the things. The other game in the group was a draw. Wales won, USA won. The proverbial game of two halves. Timothy Weah opened the scoring for the Yanks in the 36th minute. And they dominated possession in that first half, but they did very little with it. That yeah. was their first and only shot on goal in the whole 90 minutes. Wales were much better in the second half, but it did take a Gareth Bale penalty to earn a point with eight minutes to go. I thought they were going to go on and win it. And they didn't, so it's a wide open battle now for for second in the group. Up, who could beat up Iran the most out of other three teams? <laughs> hey, I, I tell you, I don't think Iran can possibly play that bad again. And the yeah, top, the top, they're qualifying. That's the, that's the thing that Iran could potentially like beat Wales or USA, even though they lost. Yeah, the USA, oh, they'll, be up, they lost they'll be up so for that US game. <laughs> oh, for sure. And the thing is, is uh, about the, them too, like. Uh, the question I have is, I didn't see the post game, but apparently Greg Berhalter loves talking about expected goals. So I wonder what he talked about there because <laughs> it must have not been that high if that was their only shot on net. I, I, as you could imagine, um, the US Twitter fan base didn't take that very well. No. Just in general. But yeah. Group C. Um, I think probably fair to say that at least 99%, and I might be being a bit generous here, that's a bracket buster, potentially, oh, sure. in the making for everyone now that had Argentina to, to win the group. Now, they still could, but... They're going to need a lot of help. Yeah, and this this game, clearly, anyone that was doing the predictions on a game-by-game basis, you'd have to have been a very avid Saudi fan to, to have backed Saudi to win this one, especially at halftime. Because I was thinking back, and... It, like it's, it's one of the biggest shocks, I think, of all time in a World Cup. I, I remember watching Cameroon beat Argentina 1-0 at yeah, Italia 90. And North Korea did pull out a couple of shocks in 1966. Well, how about, uh, uh, was it 2000, France and Senegal? Was it 2002? I can't remember the year. Mm, but was that, was that, that was... even as big a shock as that? But France losing to Senegal, I, I think that was that was 2002. They were the defending champions. Yeah, but you just think that African football is still quite strong as opposed to kind of uh, like Middle in, Eastern not football. In, not in 2002, though. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to... 2002 was a different time, so I think that was a pretty big shock as well. I mean, that Cameroon win over Argentina, oh, that was... I, I remember it clear as day because I was eating dinner at the time with my mum and my gran. Yeah. And when they scored the goal, I got up from the dinner table and I was like jumping about and my mum was like, don't do that when you're eating dinner. I, I would say, no, 100%, the, the, the one in the 1990 was the part of the biggest, out of, even the, including this one. Because like a lot of people, I don't know if anybody talked about this before, but I, I saw a lot of post-game stuff where they talked about you take Messi out of the team, out of Argentina, and they're an average team. They're not as good as the used That's to be. fair, yeah. So, so um, uh, and but if you look at this game, this is the game of the shoulder, of the armpit, uh, because there was a lot of offside, mm. or you can call it the, the the Darren Maddox game, or whatever you want to call it, because there was a lot of offsides in that first half where they scored. There was there was basically more celebrations 
uh, for gold in that first half. That they were goals. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Going back to that Cameroon game in 1990, Cameroon's MO in that game seemed to be to kick Argentina off the park. And they'd got two players sent off. They were a man down when they'd actually yeah. scored the, the winning goal in that. And I think the Saudis seemed to come into this game with the same MO because they committed 21 fouls and they picked up six yellow cards. Yeah, they're definitely not winning the FIFA fair play. No, board, I mean, it so. worked. You, you can't yeah. knock them for it. And I've got to say, if I was putting a team out there to play against Messi and or any big team like that, that would also be my game plan. Go and kick the shit out of them and rough, Cause, rough them up. Because the thing is, I was watching the highlights from the Cameroon-Argentina game. I think it was the second maybe one uh, where the player just got... It wasn't even that serious of a foul. And and the the referee immediately gave a red card just to see if they could get Argentina back in the game. Mm. Like there there was definitely something going on. The, the first one was a horrendous tackle. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. actually there was a a documentary that was on BBC the other night, which I haven't downloaded yet, based on that 1990 Cameroon side. So I definitely want to see that. I'll send it along yeah. to you when well, I get it because that that should be real fun to watch. Um, so in this game, Messi opened the scoring from the spot ten minutes in. Argentina had three goals ruled out for offside in the first half. I mean, all by the letter of the law and AI, VAR and everything were correct. The Saudis only had three shots in the entire match, just two of them on target, and they both ended up in the back of the net. Yeah, they were the opposite of Canada. Yes. Salah Asheri, three minutes into the second half, pulled them level. And then Salim Alduasari's fantastic goal five minutes later. Great solo effort, little... Fancy footwork in the box, possibly the goal of the tournament so far. So far, well, based on the fact that it's a winning goal. Yeah. Oh, I mean, what what a goal it was! I, and I do have a, a small, probably uh, a contender as well that come later on. Oh, okay. Argentina came into this tournament unbeaten in thirty six. They were one game shy of equaling Italy's record, which had been set recently as well of thirty seven. All the twenty six Saudi players play in the Saudi league. So there's no big name players that's playing overseas there. You, you do wonder if they keep this up. I mean, I said before the tournament that a lot of Canadian players were looking to to get moves after this tournament. And a couple of folks said, it's not like that anymore in world football. The World Cup performances don't get players transfers in the same way. And that's true, that's fair. But if see if the Saudis went on and played like this and won all three games... You can be pretty sure there's going to be a few Saudi players earning some moves after this tournament. Yeah, but honestly, they are. Uh, I'm sure they're well compensated in Saudi Arabia. Well, the players that, that are too. there, and they have probably very good training facilities. So I would say I think the the moves, the transfer moves, happen a lot for younger players that come out of nowhere. Mm. And that those are the players like um, what team was it? I can't remember. There was a team player in either I think Ecuador uh, that they brought on that's like in the B League or something like that. He's not oh. even the top league of Ecuador, and yes. that kind of—that's the kind of player where he, he can, if he does well in this tournament, he can very much earn a transfer. I don't think it was the Ecuador game, but what? Well, yeah, I remember. There was the some. I can't, I, I can't remember was, what. Actually. Actually. Oh, actually, you I, might I, be right because there were two goals yeah. to the good, and they gave him a, a game. Yeah, exactly. They, they so, brought him along, saying, "Oh, they just want to see what he can do." Now he's playing yeah. at a World Cup. Yeah, so I think that kind of thing can get somebody going, like somebody that nobody's expecting from one of these smaller teams. Saudi Arabia declared a public holiday as well on Wednesday after the win, and quite right and, too. 
And I'm sure those bank accounts of those players are very big, especially the goal scorers. Oh, yes, that win bonus will have been magnificent for them. Yeah. Only Spain have gone on to win the World Cup after losing their first game. That was in 2010. They went down to a 1-0 loss to Switzerland. Italy won it in 1982 after drawing their three group games against Poland, Peru and Cameroon. And they only advanced on goal difference by having one more goal than Cameroon. So it can be done. Yeah. You don't need to win that first game to go on and, and win it. They were but, helped by the result in the next match. Yeah, for sure. Mexico nil, Poland nil. If either team had won that, they were then in pole position and Argentina were in a lot of trouble. Now, there's very little to say about this. It wasn't a classic. Mexico were quite defensive. Robert Lewandowski missed a 55th-minute penalty. Both teams struggled in the final third. My favourite bit was this, was Zach's video that he was filming the penalty, and then you couldn't quite see what happened. Well, he was so far away up in the nosebleeds, for one thing, but then the girl with the sombrero stood up, and you couldn't see it. Yeah. Classic. Ah, yes. Group D, Denmark nil, Tunisia nil. There was three nil-nil draws in the space of four games, which was disappointing. But anyway, great atmosphere at this one. The Tunisia fans brought the atmosphere. The Danes brought the atmosphere as, as well. It it was a very good nil-nil draw. It was end-to-end stuff. A uh, few lulls, but it, it was it was good. Tunisia had a, a goal rolled out in the first half. Denmark did in the second. They also hit the post. Tunisia survived a stoppage time VAR review. It would have been very harsh on them, I feel. Um, of course, the big story, though, was Christian Eriksen making a return to a major tournament after suffering a heart attack at the Euros last summer. Back in a tournament like this after 18 months is incredible. For sure. And I think like Tunisia showed that they're, they're, they're a decent team. Um, obviously, the... Uh, uh, Yasser Kamiri? What, what was his name? The, the center back? I yeah, it's Yasser Kamiri. He yeah, didn't make he, the Tunisia team. Didn't make it, but I'm sure he's pretty happy wherever with that result. Um, I didn't watch this game in full because I, this was another one I'd had the results spoiled for through my own stupidity. Um, so I watched the ITV highlights of it because I thought, ah, quick five, seven minute highlights, that'll do for a nil-nil draw. Yeah. Uh, the woman introducing it on ITV said, Christian Eriksen making a return to a major tournament after his fatal heart attack. I was like, wow, that's some recovery he's made. Yeah. Resurrection. Uh, yeah. Um, France 4, Australia 1. The, the Aussies just made the French angry. When they opened the scoring in the ninth minute, because after That's, that, France just hit another gear and just put yeah, it to the sword. D- they scored way too early. That's where you want to save that goal for later on. Yeah. It's, um, it was a great performance by the French. Like, Giroud was fantastic. First goal of the tournament from Mbappe. They were dominant. Yeah, but the problem with them, the, the, big, the big loss of this game, was losing their defender, Hernandez, um, to an ECL mm. injury. Uh, he's oh, is that, is that what it was confirmed yeah. as? Oh. Yeah, uh, he's done for the tournament, essentially. Um, so that's the biggest loss there uh, because that 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 type of player will... I think I think he might even be... A, isn't he a Bayern player? I'm not even sure. I think he might be. Um, I'll look it up right now. But that 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 essentially hurts them down the road because that 
that type of defender is what you need for the the big games in the Delta team. Well, they were already missing so many key players yeah. as well, and then it went down to that. I mean, the the second goal that the Aussies gave up, it just shows the pitfalls of pissing about at the back, especially against a good team. Yeah, he is a Bayern player, so he's a Bayern player. He's torn ACL, so another loss for Zach in this tournament. He's had a bad couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> On the plus side, he's at a World Cup, so I'm sure that, that, makes, that, up that makes up for everything, I guess. Uh, the last group to talk about, because we've already covered Group F in part one, Group E. I'm going to start with the second game of the group. Yeah. Spain 7. Some side called Costa Rica apparently didn't turn up, and it was a 7-0 forfeit. Oh, no, they did turn up. Oh, they yeah. did. They were in the pitch. Um, Spain giving the middle finger to FIFA and their sponsorship rules by choosing to go with Pepsi's 7-Up as opposed to Coca-Cola Sprite. But what a performance from the Spaniards. Wow. Um, they were as good as Costa Rica was bad. Costa Rica had no shots for the entire game. Never mind shots on target. No shots at all. 18% possession. Wow. And it's concerning in a way, because they're the fourth CONCACAF team. The top three CONCACAF teams all automatically qualify for the next tournament. We know yeah. that we're opening up the next tournament to 48 teams. So you're going to be, you're going to have these results. It just shows you that the quality and the depth isn't where FIFA would love it to be. And they are opening these tournaments up to far too many teams at this point. Well, the problem is too, is that Costa Rica... Remember that when when the qualifications were happening, Costa Rica they were they weren't doing well at the beginning, and then they kind of rose up. And it it was actually Panama that a lot of people were expecting Panama and Jamaica. So there's a weird instance where Costa Rica just got hot at the right time, and maybe they weren't the right team to go in. And that's the problem with qualifying too, because you qualify, and then a year later the tournament happens. You could be missing a bunch of players. Maybe you're not as good as you were during qualifying. Um, so it, a lot of things change like that. Um, you're right. It could be up to. It's probably going to be six Concacaf teams next yeah. in the tournament because there's three automatic, so they'll have three qual- they qualify. Are there any good ones? Uh, like, if Jamaica hopefully gets better by then, or some other teams. Like, there's going to be a lot of. We'll probably see a lot more of these five four nil wins in the next tournament. It's it's genuinely concerning because you look at Concacaf and the depth's not there. Asia. Arguably, the depth's not there. You're going to have the likes of New Zealand who'll get an automatic spot, but then there's a chance for other Oceania yeah. countries to get in. And this is this is the type of game you want to play at two a.m. local time, so nobody <laughs> has to watch it. Yeah, I I didn't watch the the game. I knew that Spain had won quite handy because someone had yeah. tweeted, "What time is it?" during the game, and I was like, "Well, Spain's put up five goals then." Yeah. And then I just watched the highlights on TSN and I didn't even know it was seven at that point. And it's like, wow. Kendall yeah. Waston got time on the pitch though. So yeah. happy for that at least. Did, did he sub on or was he already on? With no, he's, he's, su- he's subbed on. So... Oh, okay, good. So he wasn't involved in all the goals? Against... No. So that was was Spain. And we, we kind of knew it was going to be a battle between Spain and Germany. And it's like, who was going to get the, the top spot? I thought Germany. Some folk had thought Spain, but... It's going to be tough for Germany now because I've saved the best to last. Japan 2, Germany 1. Match of the tournament, I've got to say as well. 
for me, not just because of the shock scoreline. I just find this a thoroughly enjoyable and entertaining game. For sure. Former um, it, friends turned foe. <laughs> I was going to say that that <laughs> it was basically for the uh, allies turned enemies or whatever, <laughs> uh, uh, or allies turned access, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah, uh, this was a shocker. I, I I kind of, in a way, I kind of feel like this was a bigger shocker than the Argentina game, just because I think Germany is a solid team. Right, there. Oh, you can't say this was a bigger shock than the Saudis coming back from a goal. No, behind. but the, but the <laughs> thing is, the South, like I said before, like even I, I, like looking back on it, I'm talking about like at the time, yes, it probably was. But looking back on it, the person who made that comment about you take Messi off, this is a very average Argentina team. Mm. It's true though, and, no, and that is and, true. Yeah, and Germany's got a lot of like talent on the team and everything like that, and I think that's the maybe the issue. Um, maybe like. It, it, and that's why I think Japan, and we saw Japan, they lost to Canada. So yeah. when you see something like that, you expect it to happen. Like at this point, yes, we could beat Germany then if we beat Japan well, and Japan beat Germany. Yeah. Basically, what I hear you saying is Germany needs a Lucas Cavallini style player. Possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Germany have now taken Argentina's path of taking the lead, having a goal disallowed. They only had one there. And then giving up the lead in the the second half to to lose 2-1. So they took the lead from the spot in the 33rd minute. Then they had a a goal disallowed just before half-time. Both correct decisions. The the penalty, I still don't know if it was given for the first or the second challenge that the keeper had on the guy. (laughs) There was possibly two fouls in there, I don't don't know. Um, They also hit the post in the second half when 1-0 up. It's those fine lines that Robbo loved to talk about. But in saying all that, even though they were under the cosh a little bit, J- Japan were looking lively. They were moving the ball well. They were looking dangerous on the counter. And they were coming more and more into the game. They they got the reward and they got the job done from a, a couple of subs in the last 15 minutes. And, and and I think the big difference between this and the Argentina game was that the Saudi Arabia scored their goals early. So Argentina had a lot of time to make like to get back in the game. In this case, yes, Germany still had enough time, but that winning goal was in the 83rd minute, right? Yeah. So that, that makes a big difference there. I I, I genuinely enjoyed just the, the football action in this. Yeah. I just thought it was a, a good game. Richard Doan had leveled things up in the 75th, and then the winner, as you said, came eight minutes later. Takumo Asano, it was another good individual goal because that angle that he finished in at the near post was... That was a really tight, yeah. Yeah. I think... The, that was like a, you know, a guy who would score with that kind of goal out of nowhere would be Eric Hurtado um, before Whitecaps fans. Like he would yeah. be the, like he couldn't get the ball in the net, but he scored that type of goal. Yeah, um, put, put the ball in front of him and he couldn't put yeah. it in. Get an angle like that and he'd bury it. Yeah, Asano, basically when I saw him score, because I was watching it out of the corner of my eye, but when he scored and everything, I was like, when did Akata make the team? Because <laughs> he looked like uh, Akata, the wrestler from uh, New Japan. It was like almost like a carbon copy, so... Uh, great for Japan because, like, you're right. There's a lot of times when uh, the European teams are like so overwhelmingly. Like, that's why another thing I would say why this feels like a bigger upset than that one because European teams are not expected to lose. Yeah, South American teams, we've seen it before. Uh, we've seen, like you said, Argentina losing to Cameroon, uh, but never seen like a team like Germany lose to an Asian team like this. It, 
it's a, a team as well that struggled. They didn't top their group in qualifying. They just exactly. lost to Canada. And I didn't yeah. I didn't rate them that much coming into it. I do love their jerseys, I've got to say. Yeah. Actually, I like the German ones as well. We can maybe do a little bit on the kits in one For of sure, the, the future shows because the, there's some really good ones and there's some really horrible ones. But what this means now is, based on today's results, you've got to fancy that Japan are going to beat Costa Rica. Unless Costa Rica suddenly managed to find something. But that puts them on six points. So that means that basically Germany have to beat Spain or they're going home. For sure. Yeah, I agree with that. The, and there's the... a good chance that Germany or Spain don't advance from the group then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Germany's probably... Uh, because uh, Germany's probably in the most difficult position out of the ones that uh, have lost because they got they, they got a, a team like Spain in the same group where Argentina, you know, whatever you want to say about Mexico, Poland, Argentina could potentially beat them. Um, yeah. So I, I think, but the thing is, Germany has to beat Spain. I don't even think a draw against Spain would help them uh, because Japan could beat up on Costa Rica. Yeah. And I guess they have six points. I mean, th- this World Cup, I. Obviously, looking forward to it because Canada's in it. And a little bit, though, it's the one I've kind of least looked forward to for a number of reasons. A lot of the it's a weird time stuff. of the year. <laughs> weird time of the year and also the kickoff times. The only other one I didn't really enjoy that much was the 2002 one, which was oh, Japan. Korea and Japan. Just because the games were when I was at work and I couldn't get right. time off work. So I couldn't right. get to to watch the game. So that I didn't enjoy that one as much. And with these early games, and because I'm my own worst enemy, and I'm spoiling it for myself by not staying offline, it, it, it's not been great, but by doing this show and talking about the games, it gets me more excited for it. I honestly thought you would be, I, I thought you would like, like stay up, like maybe take a nap before, then watch starting in the morning, like in the first game. Yeah, see, I watch go to all bed the way through at two the... or three usually. So Yeah, so what I thought you would do is take a nap and then go to sleep at 12 after all the games were done. Mm. Oh, I thought that's what your schedule was going to be. When you, you first maybe maybe I might have to do that because that might be the the better option. Although it's only the these early group games, then we get down to like seven o'clock start. So that's yeah, better. right. I'm just not a good morning person. Sure. Who's impressed you most so far? I'm going to say nobody. Um, oh. um, even even like even the big games like Spain and France, um, they did what they were supposed to do, right? And it's hard um, sure to tell that, with the opposition as to yeah exactly. So for me, like really right now, like like yeah, like obviously Japan, Saudi Arabia, they have probably the biggest wins. Um, but you know, but are they going to be able to maintain it for the whole tournament, or is this just the one win and basically next few games they lose or they draw or something like that and they get knocked out in the first round? So at this point, really nobody has really even impressed me. Even the teams that have like even Belgium, obviously they won, but. The, they were their own coaches saying they weren't the better team. Mm-hmm. So right now, I think the whole tournament is up in the air. Obviously, we have a lot more games coming up. Yeah, um, I, that's going to make it very exciting though because it, it, it's just too close to call. There was a few weird and wacky results in Russia as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's good. But again, if you open it up to too much, I know you want to have the whole world at this level and causing upsets. It's it's not necessarily going to happen. 
But, I mean, we'll get a better idea in the knockout stage and teams might find their feet, get used to the conditions, everything like that. And, and for for the most part, the team that's their favourite, Brazil has yet to play. So we yeah, don't know so we haven't seen them at all yet. Yeah. You had mentioned that there was another goal that you might have up as the goal of the tournament well, so far. Uh, what one was that? And, and not in quality, because I do think the Saudi Arabia second goal was the better quality, but the fact that the, the way that Japan's second goal, the winning goal, and what it meant and this I thought upset. that might have been the one, yeah. Yeah, I, I always don't look at quality, I look at the moment of when the goal went in. And sometimes and that there was it was a nice goal because it was a nice like build up and a nice angle and stuff like that. And late in the game too, so it wasn't early. Um, like the Saudi Arabian goal was. I think that was fifty third minute, if I'm not mistaken. This was eighty third minute. Mm-hmm. So it was like late in the game, so and it was unexpected. So for me, it's a close contender. I do think the Saudi Arabian goal is better though, overall, because of the quality of the goal. Just a couple of other quick discussion points and stories to, to cover to round off our World Cup chat. Time added on has obviously been a, a big talking point because there's been a crazy amount of stoppage time seen Sometimes in matches. Sometimes 10 minutes. Yeah, at the end of both halves. Now, some's understandable and obvious after lengthy stoppages for injuries and some others are a bit baffling at first glance, like the Holland and US games. But the reason is that FIFA is wanting the ball and play more so that they can take in time for stoppages for injuries, for substitutions, time wasting. They want all that more noted, but also for goal celebrations because they said a goal celebration can sometimes take up to 90 seconds. For sure. And that is very true. And also with all the VAR stuff and things as well. But but there's there's one instance, what game was it? It was like a blowout. Maybe it was England versus... uh, Thing and they were adding, they added like a whole bunch of minutes. And typically, if this was like MLS and it was 6 1, because uh, the, the second goal didn't happen until the last moment, last kick at the ball at the net. That that 6 1, they would have added a yeah, minute. Just and then, even it. if there was, yeah, ended. I, I think I agree with that. Why are you adding more minutes at the end of a game that's 6 1? That should be that should be over. If it's a close game, then for sure add minutes on there. Yeah, it is. By the letter of the law, though, because it could come down to goal difference in the end and all that kind of stuff. So, and folks I, I don't been betting on a set result or whatever. Yeah, and... but I don't want to live by the letter of the law. Sometimes you have to have like, uh, like, uh, bring a little bit of morality, morality into it or whatever. To you know, why do you kick a team when it's down? Obviously, in that game, the six one game, it was six one when there was so much time yeah. added. They got a second goal, so maybe it was good for Iran to get that second goal. Steve, the rebel of the podcast. <laughs> um, the 2014 World Cup had seen the ball in play for an average of 60 minutes in a game oh, wow. that fell to between 52 and 58 minutes in 2018 in Russia and the feeling was at this World Cup that it could drop to under 50 minutes maybe even as low as 45 so you'd only be having the ball in play for a half of the game so that's why they're wanting to do this that makes sense. Yeah. I, I've got to say, I don't mind it, to be honest. I didn't realise. I honestly didn't realise it was that low. I didn't either. Till I saw, yeah. I read this article in The Athletic and I was like, wow. Yeah. I, I think the biggest issue there is the PBR. You're like, you got to make sure you add that half an hour to the PBR when you're... When you're I have been doing never... that for all yeah. my games. Because yeah. I've been stung that way a few years ago and I would do that now constantly. Yeah, when I PVR, I basically PVR the game, then I PVR the half an hour thing afterwards, or yep. whatever the hour thing, and then I PVR. So I, I'm not adding minutes, but I'm, I'm basically PVRing from 2 o'clock all the way down. I've been doing exactly the same thing. FIFA yep. are looking at some things, and we'll, we'll delve into this once Zach's back, because I'd like to get his 
thoughts on this as well, to kind of have the ball and play more. One thing they're looking at is like kick-ins, which I saw in the VMSL when they came back during COVID. They banned throw-ins and they only had kick-ins, and I actually quite liked it. Another thing they're looking at is like, which I don't like, is a 60-minute clock instead of a 90-minute game. So you know you're getting 60 minutes. I don't like that. But I do like what they do in the college game of the the clock stops when the ball goes out and substitutions and stuff. So I wouldn't mind that as a compromise, but I don't want a 60-minute game clock because that's ridiculous. It's a 90-minute game. The only issue with the the clock stopping is that then you're going to, like, then you, then you, you, are you going to add time on for the other things? Like you said, the goal celebrations mm. and stuff like that. So there's a little bit... Of I guess you there. could stop it as soon as the ball hit the back of the net until it, it starts again at the kickoff. Now, if they keep this consistent, then I think I have no problem with it because yeah. then you're used to it. But the thing is, it, it, sometimes they don't do that. And that's the issue. I, I, I don't mind it at all. But when before it was fully explained and you saw these first couple of games were like all this time added on, you're like, what the hell is going on here? Right. Now... Concussions, head knocks. We talked about the Iran game. You've got a feel for the keeper, Ali Berenvand. The horrible collision with his defender. There's no way, though, he should have been allowed to carry on at all. Because he carried on for like a minute and then fell back to the ground again. And I know if you ask the player, he's always going to say it's okay, which is why you don't ask the player. Head knocks and concussions in... FIFA games are not where they should be at. It no, needs to be it, better. That Saudi Argentina game, when Yasser Al Sarani was flattened by his keeper when he got kneed in the head, it was clear he was out, and the referee didn't stop the game. He let it carry on for a little bit and then went back to it. That should have been immediately over stopped. and dealt with him. Yeah, for sure. 100%. They've got to get better on this. Yeah, there's got to be maybe the fourth official or somebody's got to like basically call the game right there. Like even if you have to have another whistle on the thing, or you have a, a horn sound in the in the stadium, you have to shut down the game at that point. So there's got to be a better thing because what if it has been something like you know we've seen in the past where you know people can swallow their tongue or yeah. something like that. You gotta you gotta get uh, people to them right away. Um, so yeah, th- that needs to be better and, and get in and stop stop the game right away and get the people on the pitch that can help the guy out in case something like that's going on. Because the Saudi keeper knew right away what had happened, and he yeah. he looked really upset. He was visibly upset that he'd done that to his teammate. Right. Um, now going back to Iran quickly, they didn't sing their national anthem before that game against England, and that great protest. Yeah. And when you think about what's going on back in their country, you kind of have to, to to wonder how that affected them going into this. But they know the repercussions they could face which are more than just fines or not playing for the country again. So, I mean, that is like absolutely incredible what they did. Germany today, they had before their game, if you see their team photo, they covered their mouths, which I'm doing as I'm talking on a podcast, which isn't a great idea. But they did that, which again, their quote afterwards was saying it wasn't against anything in particular. It was just the fact that human rights is not a political issue. Human rights is what should be a given. So that's what they were doing about. And then we know about the armbands, the seven European countries that wanted to to wear the rainbow armbands, the one love thing, and they they weren't allowed to because their captains were threatened that they'd get booked 
as soon as they saw it on the pitch, and if they didn't take it off, they get a red card. So they they back down, and it's they need to to sort this out. Belgium was ordered to remove their love jersey, but it wasn't necessarily for um, the the reasons that folk thought for the LGBTQ community. It's because it was a commercial reason because yeah. it's by a, a music festival, an electronic music festival, which is the same reason that the CIBC scars weren't allowed in because it's advertising something else. For sure. But it, it's just, it's going to just get worse and worse. And who knows what's going to be like There's other things too, because then you've got um, uh, the alcohol being banned. Oh, yeah, at the last minute. Instead. But then you could drink out at other places, like the hotels yeah. or the restaurants. Or if you're, in the, if you're in the 19,000... Dollar uh, corporate suites, you can have your yeah. alcohol, or or in the fan zones or whatever like that. I think there there's some zones that you can do because they're gonna they can charge you more, um, stuff like that. So there's a lot of things that we had. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping he's okay. Uh, there, there was a one of our I think one of our friends uh, posted something about the signing in, and then he deleted the post and, and stuff like oh, that too. Yes. So I can't remember, uh-huh. I remember mentioning it to you or whatever. Yeah, I was, I was like, I hope he's okay and everything like that. Um, well, so, did yeah. you, like Christian Dak, did you see that he got taken on a ninety-minute ride by the Uber driver that th- wouldn't t- then take him back to where it was meant to be and threatened to call the police unless they gave him money? Yeah, and you're going to get that anywhere. Like, it's not just Qatar. It's like any. There's a lot of places that scam like that. Uh, like, I, I guarantee that potentially could happen in India. If, oh, if somebody, yeah, like, yeah. So there, it's not the only the only place, but. That's where you have to be very careful about who you're with and 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 what you have set up. So yeah, we saw that um, that video of the before the tournament started of that uh, Danish was it Danish uh, reporter? That oh was yeah, to that get was forced to. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of odd things that are happening in this place, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't feel comfortable going there, even though I fit in really well due to the color of my skin and everything like that. It probably would have been the same thing for me, but. So people talk about the Qatari government, and uh, I'm not talking about the people, the government, and they're saying about how they're the most progressive, you know, Arab nation out there. Uh, but when you compare governments, and there's if you call them similar to assholes, they're still they might be the cleanest asshole, but they're still an asshole. So for me, like it, it might be progressive, but there's still a lot of problems on, in 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 that nation with the government and the way they're running this or uh, this World Cup. But that is the the action on the pitch, the action off the pitch as well. That is it for our World Cup chat for this show. We're going to be turning our attention to the Whitecaps next as we sit down for our end of season chinwag with Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster. And we'll be back with that after this. Hey, I'm Julian Gressel and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's old favourites here on the AFTN Soccer Show, former Artist of the Month from Germany, Electric Callboy. That's their new single, Mind Reader, taken from their 2022 album Techno that was released in September. Check it out, it's another fantastic video by the band as well and of course I picked them because they're German and in this part we're going to sit down for our end of season chinwag with Whitecap CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster as we chat about the season past, the off season and what is to come in 2023. It's a great chat with him, go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice and sit back and enjoy our chat with Axel S. So, Axel, you've had a few weeks now to digest the the 2022 season. How do you look back on the season that's just finished? Obviously, we got a trophy, didn't make the playoffs. The do you see it as a, a year of stability? Do you see it as a year of maybe slight regression? Or that does winning that Canadian Championship kind of make you feel a little bit better than you did in 2021? Look, I would say in general, I see it as a year that that we couldn't do that step we were hoping for. But on the other side, if you, if you want to look at from the positive side, it, it is a year... Uh, of uh, let's say stability um, because you know how the years have been before arrived at the club you know how 2019 has been so I think that with it wasn't a setback um, it and sometimes it's it's necessary in a development to also <laughs> secure or manifest some form of a of a of a of a of a step level that you have reached i would say that was it it wasn't like we have been worse than last year and still we have made the playoffs we had we had some specialties in this season again with the bad start but also we won a trophy we could add a lot of good players that will help us in future that came in later in the season we have performed at the in the second half of the season quite well by the results we haven't been happy always with how we have performed but at the end of the day for the last 26 games we have been points even with Austin the second best team in the Western Conference um, so I think if we could have played the, la- the first eight games at the end after Minnesota I'm pretty sure that we would have made the playoffs so a game a season of stability a season that has also give us the feel, gave us the feeling that we're moving in the right direction. Um, that it wasn't like the one season or the one half of a season last year where we made the playoffs because we just changed the coach and we came back and there was a, a special special situation. No, we could we could we could uh, again perform on that level. I think even in a lot of games on a better level. A trophy is nice, and now it's now it's even more pressure, and then it, I, I, we feel all more pressure or more, more also more desperation to next year than to do the big step that we all were hoping for. We could already do this year, and um, a big step for me remains to 
to not just go to the playoffs to to really give our fans a home playoff um, and to compete for that. There's no guarantee for that, but to compete for that and competing would mean, um, yeah, to be a few few places higher up in the in the in the rankings throughout the season and then to be in a spot where you can compete for that until the end. See, that, that's great to hear that because we were talking about this on our show and for, I don't like to talk a lot to you about what's happened in the past because it, you weren't here, so it's nothing to do with you really. But for too much in the past, the focus from managers or whoever has always just been on, well, we want to get to the playoffs, but it kind of feels that the Whitecaps are at a stage now that they need to take a bigger step than that. They need to be top four. You need to be looking to not just make the playoffs, but to go deep in it. And I, I think it's great to hear that. And I think that's what the fans are wanting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I, honestly, I, I would I would feel bad. I Look, I want to always push the bar a little bit higher. We have been the second best team for 26 games. Okay, so if you would have played a more, I think we could have finished fourth in this season. Take the first eight away and we play them at the end of the season. Uh, we can get better results and uh, we can make it into the top four. Uh, on the other hand, if I look at the competition in the Western Conference and I look at the teams we have played, um, I, I think we have won against every other team at least one game other than against Minnesota. That's also part of the story of this season. But Dallas has made it into to the top four and we have won both games against, against Dallas. So... Um, can we not beat all those teams? Can we not get a few more points out of that of those games? Have we not seen a lot of games where we could have done better? I I think there have not been a lot of games where we have really like stolen the points, uh, <laughs> other than than the how the game really went. I think we have got a lot of uh, that might have been the Houston game um, where we have been lucky at the end. But I think other than that. Uh, with all the challenges we had, if I only think about uh, that, that we had road trips where we had to go to Charlotte, from Charlotte to Calgary, from Calgary to Kansas. With all that, we could compete until the last moment. We could have, we could be, we we have been able to be a, a top four team for twenty six games. So why not attacking the top four spots? Uh, why again just going to the layoffs? I I, mm -hmm. I I would I would if I go through the to the to the Western Conference, yeah, there might be one or two teams where I think it will be hard to to land in front of them for throughout the whole season, but not for. Yeah, I I think that's very fair. I mean, I think when you look as well, I, I I'll say the starting eleven maybe as opposed to the squad, but certainly the starting eleven that finished twenty twenty two like the best starting eleven the team could have put out. It's stronger than the best starting eleven that finished twenty twenty one. But the start of 2022, it felt it was a weaker start in 11 than finished last season. Obviously, you lost Max and there's injuries and various things like that. The additions that's been made have been fantastic. Kubis, Shop, who I know we haven't seen the best of, and bringing in the likes of Blackman and, and Gresso and, and stuff like that over the season. Why did it take so long to get those players as a, I know it's not easy to get them at a start of the season because of how things work elsewhere in the world but was it a case that you wanted those guys so you just you made sure that you wanted to wait for them yeah I, th I don't think that the that the results in the first eight games only came from from that I think uh as I said we we had a really difficult and challenging preseason probably the um the most challenging 
in 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 comparison to our opponents in the Western yeah. Conference over the last years. Um, so and then we had injuries for Brian White and Ryan Gold in the first eight games. So that's too much. Then losing the goalkeeper, yes, but uh, I think that was all the other stuff. If all the other stuff is is different, then we can still get four or five points more out of those first eight games. Um, why additions at the point where we did them? Because look, we I, I always said that from my very very first day. If 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 somebody is looking for a sporting director, a responsible person who is who is winning, uh, who is getting the best possible result for the next season, and not in is not interested in to building something that is sustainable, then also for a period of time, as other clubs has have done that in the past in this league. Um, yeah, then I'm then I'm the wrong one. I'm not here for a sprint. I I want to build something that then is a set up for for many years, a sustainable team that can compete for those spots. We have seen champions that are not making the playoffs for the next following two years. It's actually the, the, <laughs> just spoke with with them a few days ago. Um, how frustrating that is to win it and then to not go into the playoffs for two years in in a row. Um, so. Um, we with with that obviously we also had to go for some players we want to develop to that level because you cannot buy all those top talent. It's, it's not top talent or top players that can uh, have a period of success in this league and success. I mean, real success. You cannot buy all of them, so you do have to develop. And if I only think about Pedro Vita, uh, where we have done a huge investment and. Uh, then it took also him a while to adjust to the league, to to adjust to our club, to to adjust to a new life situation without his family um, outside of his country, and how big his impact was at the end of the season. Not even not the, even there consistent, but in a lot of the games he played. So this is that is what we see for the next years. So Pedro Vita being consist consistent on the highest level that he has shown this year. Daiba Casedo, he has done such a big step and it was such unfortunate situation for us that he got injured because he was probably our best, most impactful forward at that time of the season. Imagine yeah. he can play the season through. It's another young player that we have brought in that that we think will grow and, and will will help us for a period of time. So, so that um, we, we never felt the pressure to have the best possible group together on compliance day because it would limit us in building a long-term project here because of course you can go for a free agent you can go in re-entry you can pick up a few players and a few experienced players um, that have maybe another season where they can perform for you but do they have two or three seasons and then they then you have not the best possible players together at the right time so it's it's building it step by step, um, and and I think that we have done a big step forward. Thank you. You said it. That means a lot for me. That's the thing. If I hear that, then then that reassures to me that we're on the right path. If you say this, the team at the end of this season is a better team than that we had at the end of last season, uh, because uh, we want to we want to. To do more with this team than just go into the playoffs, as I said, and for that we have to have another season where at the end of the season the team is better than last season, and then we need one more season, and then I think in then and then 
that point, that's then 24, I think, 24, yeah, 20. So I, I think if we do that steps consistently, then we in 24, we are maybe a team that that is that everyone has to have on the radar for for winning more than just a, a top four spot in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's been like the building that yourself and uh, Nick Overhill have done. I mean, it's tremendous. The guys that you've brought in, it's been good. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little concerned that the way that the season finished with that strong run, that it might paper over the cracks a little bit because it felt like some tough decisions needed to be made because you're competing on four fronts next year. And you know that you need from top to bottom to be better. But the way that the club have been this off-season, the tough decisions that's been made, I can't fault any of them at all. I just think the decisions that needed to be made have been made. And it definitely feels that you know that down to players in the 20s on the roster, everything has to get better now at the club. Yeah. Um, uh, I said it to Harvey before. There is a German saying, and I learned that this exists also in English. That uh, it, and and it, it it's a saying for 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 all parts in life. But I think for professional sport, this this fits better than everything else. It's the only consistent is change. You need to change, and and in this league, with all the limitations you have, and I mean that in a positive way. I I don't complain about any limitations, but with the com- limitations of roster spots. We're not in Germany where you in Germany you can register 50 players for your first team. You cannot do that here. And with limitations also in in how you can structure a cap. You cannot bet, you cannot keep a player and see if you trade him or transfer him later. You have to change things and you have to open up spots. You have to create space for for the next step, for bringing in players that help you with the next step to be at the point in one year where we can say, okay, this team. Is better than the team that we had and against Minnesota, or that the group we had together and against Minnesota in twenty twenty one two. Yeah, I mean, I know you you don't want to tip your hand too much, but if we talk about like areas that that you're looking to strengthen, and I, I think it's obvious to, to a lot. If we look first of all defensively, you have got three goalkeepers signed. But it does feel that you're lacking that veteran presence, a, a guy that can challenge Thomas Hassel. And that's all respect to, to Max and Isaac, who are, are good goalkeepers. But also to Thomas as well, I feel he needs that challenge. And I thought Cody did well. Is an experienced goalkeeper something you're looking to, to bring in? I know there's a few that's available just now in the draft mechanisms. Yeah, so uh, I'm... I'm not shy of telling you what we're looking for because I think it's uh, it's anywhere out in the market. I speak with so many agents, other clubs, that it is not a big secret in the world. So we're looking for a goalkeeper. But we look for a goalkeeper who uh, is not a project, who is not uh, a talent because we have that in our club. We look for somebody who is experienced and who is not only challenging Thomas, who is really competing with him for the starting position. It can be the future number one, the guy that we sign. I'm more than happy if Thomas uh, makes the next step and competes with this guy and is our number one and 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 shows all his qualities that he has shown sometimes in flashes like the game at home against Colorado where he won us actually the game. So, but we we need somebody who who can challenge him and can start him because we had the rest six goalkeepers last season more than every other club 
in MLS. And it's not like that somebody has so stand out so much that you would say, okay, don't worry. You, you can, you can rely on, on this guy for the next five years. And he will be always the guy that, that, that adds some points to, to the ranking for you. Um, so the, the other thing we look for center back, we look for forward and we look for a wide player with speed. That's, that's actually what we want to add. Yeah, I, I think most people, if they were writing down what, what the key areas are, I mean, especially left-sided centre-back, feels like there's a gap there. You, you've taken up the option on Derek. I know the Greek club had, a, an, or according to reports, the Greek club had, a, had an option to buy. Do you see Derek Cornelius back, or can you not really say much about that just now? Can't say much about that uh, at the end. Um... Um, at the end, it doesn't doesn't change the approach right now. We want to we want to sign uh, somebody a centre back that is a starter and that has uh, uh, um, the the skills and the 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 qualities that you need in this league to 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 be a starter and to help us to be a starter in the top four team, our top top four team in the conference. So said that we are looking for. Uh, uh, somebody who helps us with with his qualities and his strengths to to become a better defense to allow less goals. Uh, I know this is this is a team approach that not only is not only the center backs are responsible for that, but uh, um, we have identified that as an area where we can really need another guy with high quality. I would say uh, somebody at least on the level of the best performance our center backs have showed this year or the above. So that's, that's where the bar sits. And if Derek comes back, um, that's, that's very good left side, the center back, but uh, it's not in our hands. So he's not coming back. We will get additional uh, allocation money and we will have additional possibilities to maybe then add another one or to invest even more into the one we want to sign and go for more quality. At the other end of the pitch, obviously, Lucas Cavallini, his option wasn't picked up. I'm, anyone that's listened to our show will know I'll, I'm quite happy with that decision, especially when JJ had revealed what the option was rumoured to have been, which was a crazy amount. Do you see a DP striker coming in? Because obviously it fills up a designated player spot, or do you feel it doesn't matter if he's a designated player or not, as long as you get a guy that knows how to score goals. <laughs> yes. At the end, at the end of the day, we 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 want to our we want to use our DP spot. So th- said that that's just a fact. And at the end, we have to see uh, for what position we really have to use it. Um, uh, we have we see a lot of non DP strikers in the league doing an amazing job, um, being very 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 good. Uh, I, I I would have immediately several in my mind, several clubs who have signed strikers or have strikers in the roles that are not DPs and have performed to to a level that I would I would immediately uh, agree to have that guy or a similar guy on a not DP non DP contract. But maybe we need the DP. Um, we need the DP spot for that. Maybe it's a transfer fee we have to pay. It's not even the salary of the player, but it's a transfer fee. Um, at the end, um, we we um, have not let Lucas Cavallini go because 
of uh, because of the fact that we have been shy of spending that those those dollars. We are up to spend this, those dollars. But if we spend those dollars, or if you have a DP, if we have a DP, and we will have another DP, he has to be uh, without any question starter for our team, and that was not given. And for that reason, we will use the DP spot in a different way. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You also need to make sure your DP's not going to be out with lots of suspensions and stuff as well. I mean, there, there's a couple of big name forwards that's available just now as free agents. The club in the last couple of years have done what I've had discussions with so many managers in the past about doing, which is like using experienced MLS talent, getting the trades within the league and bringing those players in. So you've certainly done that well. Do you see the positions that you're looking to fill again, maybe coming from within the league? Do you look out with? Are there any of the free agency guys, obviously without giving their names away, that, that interest you just now? I don't think that we will sign a free agent in the league as our new forward. I, but I don't think that that will happen. Um, we anyway have a few disadvantages in the free agency I have to say that because free agency comes with a maximum allowed salary and uh, everyone who follows us maybe probably the majority of the people that are following us and, and hearing that are living in our market and they know what the tax situation in our market is and if oh, there yeah. is a maximum allowed salary and you compete with no state income tax markets and there are several teams sitting in those actually it's uh seven teams in in our league that are sitting in no tax uh, no state income tax markets this makes a big difference that makes hundreds of thousands of dollars net difference and if you compete with those clubs and it's seven clubs and there is a very big likelihood that one of those clubs <laughs> is competing for such a guy then you have already a disadvantage so i'm not over optimistic that we can pick up a free agent uh, for that role, for that position. But also, I want to say we 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 have tried to do that last year and, and actually, yeah, we have been too optimistic with that. This year, we are very pessimistic about that and prepare other scenarios. We prepare ourselves to have alternative solutions ready. And also, we have a very special profile um, for the forward we are looking for. Um, I think uh, he had not his best season because he was unfortunately for most of the season not fit. But Brian White has a lot of strengths that are very special. Um, the, the 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 work ethic he has against the ball, his link-up play, um, his one-touch link-up play to our to Pedro Vita and Ryan Gold, and also his finishing is really strong. So we need another profile. We need somebody who is different to that. Uh, a striker who can attack the space, a striker that has a lot of speed. So also with that, we are looking for such a special profile that uh, we we that it is it's not in our mind to just pick up a free agent who has scored a lot of goals because we need we need the right addition. We need somebody who really fits to what we have, possibly a bit of height as well, which we've kind of lacked a little bit. I can rule out Ola Kamara then. I've wanted him to come here for a number of years, so I guess we can rule him out. I mean, there are three new additions to the team. Karifa Yao was picked up on Thursday in the re-entry draft, a guy I watched a lot of in the CPL. I know he's got his pluses, he's got his minuses as a centre-back, depending how you want to play. 
I guess he might be more depth or in WFC 2. And then you've got your two WFC 2 guys that you've now signed, Simon Butcher and Ali Ahmed, who I've loved watching this year. WFC 2, there was a number of players released on Friday. How do you see that team fitting in to the club next year? Is it going to be a lot younger? Is it going to be the guys that maybe we saw in the summer in, in League One? Are you wanting to bring in guys that might be thinking CPL, but then there's an MLS pathway if they, if they come to you? I think it will be a mixture of that. Um, I think the story of success for our MLS Next Pro is the signing of Ali Ahmed and Simon Betcher to an MLS contract. Um, would that have happened without an MLS Next Pro? Would we have passed on Simon at some point? Uh, just as an example, I think Simon Betcher came in uh, as many of the first round draft picks with high expectations, and he had then to find out that it's still still that there's still a gap to really make it into a, uh, ML, in our MLS first team. So he had also had to accept that he had to grow as a person uh, as a as a personality. He had to he had to accept the challenge. He had to to go through all those learning processes over a season. And then at some point he picked it up in MLS Next Pro and he took he took that challenge and he, in a way good way. And he has grown so much as a as a as a player, uh, especially as he has matured so much, said that. Um, I don't know if if he would still be here if he ha- would not have an MLS Next Pro team because he wasn't ready to to be in our MLS yeah. team. He had a slow start to the season as well, and then just found a stride. Right, right. Imagine in the very first game in Columbus, we have uh, we have played uh, Abby and not Simon um, for the last minute. So that shows how far he was off and how much MLS Next Pro has helped him, and he has he has really shown. Uh, he has shown a lot of highlights and flashes in MLS Next Pro that have convinced us that he's now ready to be in our team. And Ali Ahmed, he had a terrible injury this year. And imagine there would not have been an MLS Next Pro where he could have got back and used to competition, a player that has not played on the highest level for, for the majority of his life. Somebody who, who has, has, has taken an alternative path in his development and how important such a platform is to give him structure to to help him um, also to get ready to MLS. He has so many qualities. I think he's he's so skilled. But if you have not if you not had the chance in the wild wild west of the Canadian player development system um, to to play a lot of games on a competitive high level, then this is the thing you need. And MLS Next Pro has given him those games and. We also now think he's more ready, and that doesn't mean that they both not playing a few other MLS Next Pro games at the point where they are not getting the minutes in the first team. So it's 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 critical to have that team. It's critical for those players to grow. There's the next group that now has to play next year there, and and we have now positive examples that also maybe helps us to to explain players better what MLS Next Pro means for them. And how how serious they should take it, and then of course uh, we will continue to pick up players where we think they are close to the last step into an MLS team. Players from various leagues. It can be CPL, USL. It can be it can be foreigners. And but first and foremost, we also want to give the chance to those guys that are in our development system. And I think uh, mm-hmm. um, most of the players that have played uh, last season. Uh, in, in MLS Next Pro have been here the year before other than our draft picks uh, we have not really hired players a lot of players from outside than other teams have done 
because we want also to give Canadian talent a chance to to grow, to play there. Max Anker now has a full season uh, ahead of him there, where he has to grow as as a player, um, and and a lot of others. I think there have been also some who have have shown some flashes of of what makes us thinking about that they can get there, and uh, now it's also for them to to show that one more season. It's also the team. I want to say that because it's important for me. The team where we care the least about results. Um, yeah. Going into the players of MLS Next Pro is is really not our aim. It would not help us to get into the fourth spot and play in the playoffs if we at the end would not identify any player that we could keep for the MLS. So, so at the end, the most important thing is to have at least every year two players that can make the step into the supplemental roster for the following year. So sticking on WFC2, obviously the team uh, was scheduled for getting rebranded for next season. Is that still on the cards? When might we hear about that? And do you see competition for places between you and the new CPL team here in the, the Fraser Valley for, for these players? Look, I think if if we lack of something in Canada, is it a it's of meaningful competition uh, for players? And um, I have I had meetings with Rob Friend, and uh, uh, at the end, look, uh, we we uh, we uh, uh, we're in the same market, and it is good to have some form of a competition and to see it also on the competition on the other side of the table. We are sitting together in that, and we all want to help to grow the game in Canada and we want to give options and have more Canadian players uh, uh, on, on platforms where they can grow and, and we want to develop the next generation of Canada. So we're also sitting somewhere there together because he needs 16 Canadian players. That's the rules of, of CPL and where do you find them? So it's somehow we will also find ways to cooperate here. There is no, there is no uh, reason to think that could be too much or this challenging this market. I'm, I I would be happy if we would have another team in Surrey and we would have another one in in Quilona and we have more teams of that because that would be more options for players to play. Uh, in reality, the, the three MLS clubs are sitting on a huge pool of Canadian talent in their academies. And if they are not making it with, with our teams, then where to go and uh, we cannot pick up, up everyone we will not pick up every of our u19 players we will not pick up every of our u17 players and where those guys get, go then so it's it's only good i would i would i hope there will be new new and more um, bc league one teams i hope there will be new C and more cpl teams at one point and um, at the end i, I at, at the on the pitch we will compete of course that's the nature of it. We 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 are in an area where you love competition. You play each weekend a competition, but off the pitch, I think we all have to sit down together in Canada and work on on plans how we can can grow the game. Because if I look at the MLS Next, not Next Pro, if I look at the MLS Next in US, and I see in some of the markets how many independent teams play in that, they have U twelve, yeah. U thirteen, U fourteen competitions. In the in the California area or in the East Coast area, there are there are twenty teams um, in that, and and so many kids are playing and not MLS teams, and and they all have playing on the same platform and they compete each against the other. What? How great is that for those kids? Um, oh, absolutely, that level and to grow, and of course that widens up the pool 
of players you can pick from for a higher level, like CPL, because they struggle to, to, to find all the Canadians. And then for us, of course, as well. Um, so we have we have to work together to have more players, and then we have not to be worried that we compete for that we we really compete for than the one player at the end. And is it still likely to get rebranded then? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Look, we 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 part of of what we are doing here and uh, is is also to to. Uh, Steamline the right word, I don't know, to structure our development pyramid in the right way. It was a little bit disconnected. Our academy, we called it the Academy uh, Center, Development Center yeah. system. We had our MLS Academy. I say there's only one platform. We have the, we have the first team and the development platform. That's only the, the only two things this club has. First team and everything else is development platform. The top of the development pyramid is MLS Next Pro and everything else falls under that. Said that we want to do, we are building on the right structure that everything is combined, everything plays into that. The academy center that we have in Halifax, as well as the one in Edmonton and 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 the MLS Academy that we have here, OU15, everything plays together, everything goes up to the to, to the top of the pyramid, the MLS next row. And then from there you can jump into the first team. And it maybe comes also with giving it an own brand and giving it and 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 also doing that to to make very clear everything is under the same roof but we're not yet there and there's nothing to expect uh, nothing you have to expect will happen soon nothing you you can expect that i i i've always liked white caps too that's just that's just me um problem with white caps too is that that's only really the the mls next pro team yeah. so the idea yeah. is to be rebranded the kid in halifax should play with the same brand than the MLS next Pro. Right, okay. That, that would that. give the connection to between Halifax, not only Halifax, uh, can also be yeah. it can also be Manitoba, Saskatchewan, we are everywhere. I yeah. know you are. <laughs> the the other big success this year, aside from the Canadian championship, obviously the girls won the League One B C title. So pleased for, for Katie and the girls and it was a pleasure commentating on their games this year and I just loved everything that they brought to to the league how do you build on that now though on the women's side because you've obviously got Steph LeBay in so I mean what what is your plans for, for the women's side now first of all to build a new uh, BC League One team that's our problem because uh, we and it also explains what our plans are because uh, our girls all leave now they yeah. go to colleges uh, across the border so, and we have to build a whole new team other than most of our competitors in the league who, who have still the group together. So it's it's challenging. And so what is our plan? Our plan is to, to sit at the table together with others that are thinking about building an own Canadian professional women's league. Uh, we would like to offer all those girls uh, a platform. And it has not only to be in our team. It can be there should be more than our team options for girls that are in the in the Rex program that are in the in our development program that are across the country again so many girls so many amazing talent and that has no other choice than than to leave the country at some point and and play in a different country to to do the next development step to have a league in place for those girls and we want to sit at the table we want to help to push uh, that thing forward, and we want to be part of that. 
Um, that's that's I think it's the easy summary of what our plans are. Last thing, thank you as always for your your generous time today. The World Cup. This is going to be going out on Wednesday. It's going to go out after Canada's first game. I'm sure you're looking forward to the World Cup in general. Just what what's what you hoping for for this World Cup, and who's your tip to to win the whole thing? I have I have three hopes. I want to summarize them first that in the round of sixteen, Canada meets Germany. <laughs> Yep, that is Zach's hope as well, because he's gone over there and he's staying in the hope that that is going to be the round of 16 game. I hope that that happens, because then both teams make it off the group stage. I think that would be a very nice game. I would really enjoy to see that game. The second thing, I really hope that an African team makes it uh, to to a semi-final. Um, I think uh, um, an Asian team we have seen, seen 2002, I have been actually there. We played against them, Germany, South Korea. I think Africa. Mm. I have seen the final of the African uh, of African Cup. So uh, Morocco versus uh, Senegal, and I thought that was a very high level, technical high level of of quality of game. And um, so I would really enjoy to see also that continent making it once to a semi final at least. And the last thing, and that is. Probably nobody expects that, but I hope that the champion this time comes not from Europe. I have been 2002 in Japan. That was the last time Brazil won. It's more than 20 years now, um, or it's 20 years now. I think the it's a World Cup, and it will it would be great for fans on a different continent to have a team seeing uh, to see a team winning. Um, the the dominant of Europe is so big that I am as a European would say I really would like to see a team from another continent winning this thing this year yeah i'm the same my my brackets ended up with brazil winning it but the semis were brazil argentina and france spain so i'd be fantastic last four and it would be a yeah i think it would be nice if it was brazil or argentina anyone but england in my case but there we go But thank you so much for your your time as always, Axel. And yeah, have a nice Christmas and I'll talk to you next year. Thank you very much. Axel Schuster there, talking all things Whitecaps past, present and future. We'll unpack some of what he said after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster, and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part from 2002, their debut album Chat and Business, English band Akara Colt, and that was City of Glass. All change in the City of Glass? It might very well be all change in the City of Glass of Vancouver, as there's been some very tough roster decisions made and players are moving on because, as we just heard there from Whitecap CEO and General Manager Axel Schuster, there's got to be some changes if this team wants to improve. We're going to unpack some of what Axel said in this part. I thought it was a very honest and and open chat though, Steve, and you can't help but feel quite optimistic and positive with what Axel was saying there. Like he he's definitely saying the right things for sure. It's it's a much more fresher than what we've heard in the past about you know uh, what they're expecting and uh, the players they're looking for. Are very honest with the positions he's looking for. Um, even mentioning the keeper and 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 you know what he wants from the keeper to you know challenge us all and and do that kind of stuff. So there is a lot of it. It's a, it's really refreshing to hear that kind of openness. Um, for me, uh, just a quick side note. Um, I thought you selected this song because you were going to break some news because you, uh, like I I switched City of Glass with Glass City and I thought there was going to be some breaking news in this in this segment. Yeah, maybe he I wants know, to adopt that as his theme song. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually felt 2022 in general was a year that the, the club didn't take the step that they were looking for. And that step was to not just be a playoff team, but to be a... a a top four team and, and host a playoff game. He said, though, that on the positive side, it was a season of stability. It wasn't a setback, maybe level even from, from last year because they added better players. They ended the season well after a horrible start. Again, after the first eight games, of the, the second best team in the West for the last 26 games. He feels that they're moving in the right direction as opposed to 2021 where it was... More a weird late push after the coaching change. And I think if you do look at it now, Steve, you've got to be honest and say that the starting 11, or the best starting 11 that you could have that finished 2022 is better than what you would have had that finished 2021. Yeah, and it's clear, like, just adding, like, a guy like Kubos to the lineup and and a couple of defenders, uh, Blackman. And uh, that that right there, those two players right there, who I thought were one of the two of the best additions, um, make a big difference. Uh, the, uh, for me, like again, um, I wish we had brought this up, but I we we didn't really discuss it. But I would love to hear, hear his lineup about his, his you know about what formation and how he acquires players because of the formation that's gonna, they're planning on playing. If that that makes a big difference, because guys like Caicedo and Dahomey, I know we mentioned Caicedo. But in the formation that uh, Vandy has right now, I don't know if there's a spot for Casero in there. Yeah. And that's the big question I have for, for the, yeah, that's the, true. the we acquisition. Can, we can address that the next time we, we speak to him, which I'm sure will yeah. be quite soon anyway. He says that they kind of feel a bit more pressure to take that bigger step next year. And their ambition is clear. They want to be a top four side in the West. Get a yeah. home playoff game, not just scrape into the playoffs. And I think... It's refreshing to hear that because for too long in the past, and we've criticised the club for this, it's always just been, well, our ambition is to get into the playoffs. 
No, he wants top four. And for sure. I, I think it is doable if they continue to strengthen the team the way that we've seen it strengthen in the last year or so. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. The, the thing is, he's not afraid. And I feel like people in the past have been afraid to say, you know, I, we want to we want to push it forward and stuff like that. And, and he didn't use, like, jargon about, like, pillars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I like just, that. He just said, let's get, let's just, we want to go for top four. We're going to try to do it. He mentioned that, yeah, he was honest, too. He goes, there's probably a couple teams that maybe we can't get past and be ahead of. He's probably mentioning LAFC and maybe another team. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of teams that they can like, like I, I, like, I think you mentioned some. Like maybe Minnesota was the only team they couldn't get points off of. Yeah, they like didn't that. take any points off Minnesota. Um, which but everyone would, else which would have helped if they did. <laughs> like you mentioned, yeah, themselves, would have, it would have helped. very much helped. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, but so he is true that it's just a matter. Of, um, and he's you guys said it yourselves. You guys mentioned it that that getting not getting off to a good start, so you're not behind eight ball and you don't have to play catch up throughout the whole year. Which yeah. they did for the last two years. The the first year, the two years ago, was the bigger uh, amount of catch up they had to do. This one wasn't as bad, but they still had to do it. He said that he's gonna. He's a sporting director, and he's gonna be what he said he's always gonna be when he's come in. A sporting director who is responsible and who is looking for long term stability, not to just sign players for a short term hit or short success. And that's why the additions that we saw didn't come at the start of the season. They they came more through the season, mid-season. And he says, if you want to develop to that top level, you can't buy all your talent, especially in a league with a salary cap. You've sure. got to get the younger guys and develop it over a, a couple of years. And there will never be a team that has the, their best starting eleven on compliance day they'll improve over the course of the season. And again, that's refreshing to hear, and it is the right approach. Yeah, and the, but the thing is, you want to be strong to start the season, so you're, like, you you want to be have that strong start, so that when you add the players, you give them time to accumulate into the into the roster. So if they can start off strong this year at the beginning of the year, um, they're not in a rush to get those two players in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, would, I would say that that is a very good point that they need to, there will be always a team that looks in the summer uh, because they can't afford to spend that much money on the big names in this in the winter because it does cost more money in the winter than in the summer. Yeah. He said the only constant is change and that is true. And they've made those tough decisions this year. We won't go into those again. Yeah. But he talked about the improvements that he's looking for and he's targeting four positions. Goalkeeper, centre-back, winger, forward and he explained what he's wanting for each one so a goalkeeper they're looking for a goalkeeper that isn't a project they've got yeah. those isaac bomer max anchor they're the, they're the guys that's the projects they want a keeper who is experienced not just to challenge but to compete with hassal for that starting position yeah you've said it before like a 1a a 1b Yes, that's exactly what they're looking for. Like right now, although Cody Cropper, I think was Cropper, right? Last, yeah, yeah, the backup. Uh, he was a solid, you know, backup, and he came in and and he and he performed well. But he's not considered that solid starter, like the MLS starter with with pedigree. And I think that's what they're looking for. Um, like I think DC United uh, just signed a guy, Tyler Miller, uh, mm. formerly of Minnesota LAFC, and I think that's the type of player that Vancouver would look to get bring in. Oh, um, yeah, th that type of talent level. 
I mean, there's a few keepers that's been available, obviously, for various reasons and all the different draft mechanisms this year. And the Whitecaps are looking for someone that can be that number one. But if it then pushes Thomas Azal to be even better, then yep. that's a win-win for them as well. And you, sure. you think, you look around, like I, I spoke in the last show with Har about Clint Irwin. And yeah. uh, he's a guy that's available. And he hasn't played much, though, in the last three years. That That's the thing with that. But then do you look at the CPL, a Marco Carducci, a Callum Irvin? Are they maybe feeling they want to make that jump? They might but not be I, the starter, but they could push enough to get that I, starting spot. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if Axel would classify them as the same level. Like mm. a, 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 because because they, I, they, I would put them... Not based on talent, but based on like levels and everything like that. I would pay them at the same level as Cody Cropper. That's that would be like a, a the same type of move, bringing somebody from a lower level. I think they want to bring somebody within from within MLS that has MLS experience, even if they haven't played that many games. That that's been a starter before, so they're capable of being a starter again. It's going to be an interesting one, as is centre back, because left sided centre back is clearly a position that we need now. Derek Cornelius has had that option picked up, but the Greek club do have the option to buy. So if yeah. they take that, we said the last show, it's a win-win for the Whitecaps. You, sure. if, if they take him, you get GAM, you can use that to, to put towards another player. If they don't take him, you've got a, a top centre-back that's over at the World Cup just now. For but sure. he said, and I, I, think, I, I think he'd be a good he'd be a good fit on the left side too with Tristan Blackman and and um, oh, oh my God! I'm drawing a blank on the the big guy in the middle. Ranko, uh, Ranko, yes, Ranko. Um, yeah, th- th- that'd be a good combination, I think. And 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 Cornelius has experience now playing in Greece. And once, uh, and he'll probably even if he comes back to MLS and Greece, the Greek team doesn't pick up his option. Uh, he'll be looking to keep going, so he can maybe move back there on a yeah, free or something. I like would that. think so. So, so I, mean, I, I think. I think that's a, a positive if he, whether he comes back or not. I agree. Um, uh, Axel seemed to be kind of wishy-washy whether he was going to come back. So I don't. I didn't get it. Yeah, I I, I, I took that. that to mean no that yeah. he wasn't. But that that works in our favor as well. And he said sure. either way, it doesn't change what they're looking to do, which is to add a starting centre back that's yeah. got the skills and qualities to make them a top four team in the conference and make the defense better and to give and, up less goals because. Minus 17 already, goal difference, they improve that drastically. They're a top four team. For sure. And they picked up a solid player. Like I know you guys discussed it before, but um, uh, from Montreal. Carifa um, Yao. Yeah, I think they picked up a solid depth type player that can cover uh, when injuries hit and everything like that and, or in like midweek games. So I think they're building that depth pretty good and they just need to get that starter for that. He also wants a, a centre-back that's going to play at the level that their current centre-backs played at their top levels of last year. So if you think of the best game that Ranko played or the best game that Blackman Blackman. played or anyone that was playing centre-back, he wants that to be the minimum bar that this player plays at. And that's exciting to me. And and, 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 and Cornelius fits that role too, if he does come back. Yeah. Um, So that type of player, because he, uh, from what I've never seen him play in Greece, but from what everything we hear, he's been very impressive. In that league, so that that's a good sign, and he made the national team and the World Cup team because of that. Well, it's also interesting as well that he said that if, for example, Cornelius doesn't come back, they get that extra allocation money that could be used to either add a second centre back or invest yeah. more 
in the one that they are going to get. So right. you could get a real top-end centre-back and... Again, I'd probably look for one maybe that's got really good experience in the league. But, I mean, if you're sure. then putting more into it, that opens up a lot of great options there. So, and then, and then obviously the the big position we're looking at that he mentioned was the, the guys going forward. Yeah. Um, well, he the, wants a winger with speed, which yes. I think... We've had lots of wingers with speed before. I want a winger with speed and the ability to then deliver to some good it. crosses yeah, exactly. and to use it and get maximum advantage yeah. out of it. Well, but, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing with 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 wingers. Like you want them, yeah, you want them fast, but you know, we want them to know how to use that speed effectively. Like you just you don't need somebody that's running at a you know crazy pace backwards, but you like go forward or back, but you want them to know how to cut inside and and do the right things. They don't even need to like be able to supply a cross in there, but if they're if they're like one of those scoring wingers that know how to get cut in with the ball. And deliver the pass if they're not going to cross it in. So, but definitely something like that would be needed. Then we've got the big one. We know that Calf has moved on now. Obviously, you weren't on the show last week, so I won't get. I'll ask your thoughts on this. Yeah, Calf's option was two point eight million. I mean, that's a no brainer not to take that. Yeah, and 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 it totally no brainer because of the fact that he hasn't developed. But at the, like people criticize, oh, why'd you give him that much money? At the time, they were probably confident that he would be able to do something yeah. with it, whether or not. So it, it could have been potentially if he had done well, like obviously this is all hypothetical, or uh, if he had done well, that 2.8 might have been a steal at yeah. one point. Too. Like, if you had a guy that was putting up, say, Dreyusi numbers yeah. two or three seasons in his three that he had here, you'd be like, oh, take that for 2.8 million. That is exactly. an absolute bargain. And if he just formed adequately, maybe 2.8 is the right number for you. So it's it's like... You put these. That's why you do that. The, these uh, MLS teams do these options because they don't want to be stuck with a guaranteed contract uh, that they can get out of. And yeah. in this case, Lucas Kevlin did not prove that he earned that money. And I don't have a problem with him getting released. I know people said, "Oh, you should have sold him or something like that." You could have potentially got stuck with him if you took that well, that's, guarantee because exactly nobody wanted. That. It. And in typically, um, asset management is a good way to like you know you want to have good asset management. But asset management sometimes is it's like especially with a cap system, you need to unload contracts so you can uh, reload with other contracts, and well, you do have to take that hit. We've seen in the last year and a half, two years with the White Caps, they're way better with their asset management than yeah, they have and, been in and, the past. And, and, and there's been teams in the big leagues that you know buy somebody for fifty million, but they the player doesn't perform and they have to sell them for fifteen yeah. after that, so they take a big hit. And in this case, I don't have a problem with them taking a hit because. How much were they going to get out of it? What, um, at the most, a million from somebody, I think? Yeah. And that would have given them 600. Gam- like, I, I, I don't have a problem with this if it means that they were stuck with them for another year. They're, people that would have complained it would have been like a Breck Shea situation where they, they, they got stuck with them for an extra year. Yeah. In that case, it was a different thing because they didn't read the contract correctly. But it, it, it could have been something like that where they couldn't bring another player in because they were stuck with a Cavallini. So it does leave a, a big hole up front for the white caps axel says they're looking for a different skill set than brian white which is exactly what they should be looking for they've got a very special profile in mind of the forward that they want someone that can attack space a lot of speed and probably ideally with some height as well so oh i, mean, I was gonna say Ryu re- 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 <laughs> 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 <Joaquin> Diaz. yeah <laughs> 
so so like like I I agree with that. Like it's not going to be somebody that wins balls of the year because you do have kind of somebody like that in Brian White. So some like you have that solid. But maybe they want to play a big more guy to head the ball down to Brian White as well. Yeah. would be yeah. kind of so, what I would be looking for. So I think they're looking for an all arounder and not just like a you know uh, uh, somebody that's like stuck in that number nine. Like a, a you know the, one of those typical number nines, I think they want to look for an all arounder that could head the ball, but have to do other stuff as well. Yeah. on the deck. Now we've got a designated player spot open. Obviously, with Kava moving on, that just leaves Ryan Gold and Kubis as the other two DPs. Now, Axel says that the DP spot it will be used, but not necessarily on a striker, which would make yeah. you think it could be the winger or the centre back. I doubt it's a centre back. I just I, I'm not sure about that. But based on the fact that they maybe need to solidify that backside, maybe they do that. Um, what What if you've got the chance of bringing? I'm just picking this name at random. Walker yeah. Zimmerman, just because he was a centre back that made a huge move, you'd have to bring him in potentially as a DP. Somebody like him. I don't know. I'm not sure if that will make a big difference. I feel like uh, uh, sometimes, in, especially in in the MLS, you want. That, the center back should maybe be tan players, but I'm not sure if they should be D player players, unless they're out of this world type D players, like mm. maybe a top five, six in the world or something like that, where, or like, you know, that kind of type, like a really, that's something that can make a massive difference. I don't see very many MLS center backs that are in that spot. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't really have DPs as, as your center back. If yeah. It was all turned down. Yeah. Um, the um, thing is, though, the other thing about the center back, the, you're putting a lot of DP money in your, in your, you know, your, the area closer to the net because Kubas is more of a holding midfielder as well with the ability to go forward, and you put DP money in him, and then you got a center back too. There's very little money going forward unless they can find some kind of steals up yeah. front, and like they, they'd have to really have somebody pinned down. Um, I'm assuming maybe if they do something like that, it'll be somebody that's maybe doesn't cost as much and it's a high um resale value or something like a younger player i i'm obviously pushing and i i did actually push with this with axel before we started recording of lewis morgan the scottish player at new york red bulls he can play out wide he got so many goals and assists in the last couple of years and he would be on dp money so yeah make that call axel i'm (laughs) pushing hard for that and him and ryan gold together would be fantastic bring johnny russell in as well and we're we're all good but what he said, though, that the reason they might not spend the DP spot on a striker is there are a lot of non-DP strikers in this league that do an amazing job and get the goals. And if they can get a guy that can be that or a high TAM player, they could use it elsewhere. Oh, for and, sure. And he did say that Cava wasn't let go because solely of what his option was going to be. They want their designated player to be a guaranteed to be a starter. And he basically sure. said that Cava wasn't that, and he wasn't. Well, biggest reason why Cava's not guaranteed to be a starter because he could be suspended. Well, there's that so too. Yeah, that's that's the biggest reason usually. Uh, but overall, I agree with that. Um, they need somebody that, and they, maybe they need somebody to provide a little bit different movement because they they've questioned in the past about uh, Cavallini not being in the box where he's supposed to be to score those goals. So they need somebody that has a poacher's mentality. But that's what Brian being... White could be if you've got another guy I still knocking the consider, ball down to him. I still consider Brian White a uh, player coming off the bench. That's for me. Mm. But of course, it's different a little bit now because they've 
they brought in uh, uh, they they signed uh, Beecher as well, and maybe yes. that's somebody that could be off the bench. But I see Beecher right now as a number three striker uh, at this young age. Um, I don't want to put him in a, in a backup role. So for me, it's and the thing is as well, you mentioned about it doesn't need to be a DP striker. For the first time in a while, I feel like they have the talent around in other parts of the midfield, uh, wide areas where they don't need that guy to create a goal. Um, and they can be somebody, other people can be in there and they just need somebody to finish at that point. Yeah, you just so need a might prolific be, striker. Yeah, they might get away with not having to get bring in a DP striker because of that. Because in the past, I, they needed somebody and they weren't able to get bring anybody in. He also said it's unlikely that any of the current free agents would be, be coming in as as the striking option. So that mm-hmm. can probably rely Ola Kamara and Jesse Zardes that I had kind of was dangling in front of him as well. But he said the reason for that, and this is this was one of the really interesting things in the interview, is because of the tax situation here in BC. Well, for sure. Because there's seven teams that sit in states, and we touched on this roughly behind the last episode, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Washington. Seven yeah. teams that... They're in Oregon a no too. state. Oh, they. I think Oregon's the one that has it. Washington does. I think Oregon doesn't. Maybe I'm wrong. I could yeah. be wrong. But well, I could it's a, it's a no state income tax yeah. market. So that can save a player hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, yeah, why would they come here when they can go to one of these teams? That's so... been what. That's one one of the biggest issues with bringing American players up here. First of all, you got the doll. And it, it just doesn't happen in this league, mm. in this sport. We've had. Uh, this past summer, hockey players, American hockey players that go down to the States just because they, it all and it had a lot to do with the COVID situation too because they weren't allowed to go back home. Yeah, So that had a, a big part to play in it as well. He feels that the CPL team that's coming in Langley is necessary and meaningful competition. And he says the more the merrier in BC in the CPL and League 1 BC. And WFC 2, the rebranding, will go ahead next year. And it was interesting because he said, basically, you're going to have the MLS team and then everything else will be under the development thing. And that includes all the academies around Canada. So I'm wondering if they're going to like rebrand it Whitecaps Development Academy or Whitecaps Development Team or something like that. And it will fall everything from under 23 all the way down basically to pre-residency. Yeah, why not? Let's just name it the eighty sixers. The 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 I I I thought when when the rebranding came up, I thought they what because you mentioned it prior to me listening to it. I thought they were just going to rename the WFCT team and call it the eighty sixers or something like that. I, I thought it was just going to be that, but the rebrand. But yeah. no, he wants to have it everything under that umbrella. Yeah. So I, I, it's I, actually I, fantastic. Yeah, that's good. But I don't think that in that case, I don't think they're going to rename. It. I think they are going to keep it at the Whitecaps, but kind of rearrange the words or something yeah. to make sure it's more reliable. Well, we, we've got Vancouver FC coming in the CPL. Maybe we'll be FC Vancouver. Yeah, maybe something like that. <laughs> so after all that, I had a chat with Vanny as well a few weeks ago. How are you feeling about 2023 for the team? I, I, I am a little bit more confident now that they're they're on the right track. I was really like... Although a lot of people weren't happy about it, I was very confident when they started releasing players. And and no offense against Jake Risky, I thought that was a good move because they just needed to move on and needed a fresh start in some places and they needed a different profile. And he's landed in St. Louis now, as Har and me predicted in last week's show. 
and uh, like even the Lucas Cavallini showed that they were know that they needed to do something. And that 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 release tells me that they're they're not scared to take chances yeah. and be to go forward. And that, that that's a good sign as well. I agree. I like all that. So let us know how you're feeling after that chat with Axel. Let us know your thoughts on that. AFT in Canada on Twitter, AFT in Canada at hotmail.com. But that is it for the Whitecaps chat. That is it for the football chat. It's not it for the show, of course. We've still got time for this episode's wavelength. And we're continuing our World Cup theme for this month. And this is a, a very interesting song. I love it, which means... Just heard it just came out didn't it yeah most folk will hate it because i i like it the band that is behind it are properly called beekeeper but it's been released by howler magazine as one of four tracks they're releasing for the world cup the first two have been released this is by far and away the better of the two tracks beekeeper are a san diego thrash metal band and this is all under the the howlers doing something called group of death because going into this World Cup, there wasn't really a group of death that folk were, were thinking uh, about. That might Germany, change. Germany would disagree right now. Yeah, that, that might be very different now. So this is Beekeeper, Group of Death, with their song Black World Cup Winter, FIFA Sucks. <laughs> Tyler Magazine, Beekeeper, Black World Cup Winter, Group of Death, FIFA Sucks, whatever you want, Google that, find it on YouTube. I love it. I love a bit of thrash metal on the show. And it was short, so you didn't have to listen for it for too long. But that is it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show. We'll be back after the next Canada game. Before we go, though, Steve, any final thoughts? Where can folk find you online? What are your goodbyes? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Whitecaps Beat. And uh, uh, for this game, uh, a little bit of a reminder of something that happened that a few years ago, very uh, crazy events uh, in an AFCON match. Uh, the key, the referee today was Jenny uh, Sikoswe oh, yes. from Zimbabwe. Yes. He, he refed the game. Tunisia versus Mali. Um, he, he, he blew the final whistle twice before the 90th minute. The first one was the 85th minute. He recognized he made a mistake. He couldn't let game go on. Second time he blew it was in the 89th minute. 
Um, Tunisia was down 1-0 to Mali. Um, once they realized that he blew it too early the second time, they called, tried to call Tunisia and Mali back. And Tunisia refused to come back because they'd already taken their baths. And so they decided that they weren't going to come back and play the rest of the game. It was it was very recent. It was either last year or start of this year. I don't know how uh, he's getting to ref at a World Cup, to be honest, after that. But well, did, Joe, they, uh, Joe Fletcher he, did defend him. <laughs> they said he was suffering from it heat was, stroke. You're right. It was January. It was January. He was suffering from heat stroke during the competition. I remember reading uh, that now. I am Michael McCall. You can find me online at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Like and subscribe our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. And I'll be getting more VMSL videos up. I finally got back out to some VMSL action on Saturday afternoon. It was great to be back at Empire Stadium. Can't have enough football these days. I'm going to go and fill in my When Saturday Comes wall chart. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. Mon the caps. And allez la rouge! Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.